The Denver Planning Board reviews and makes recommendations to the Mayor and Denver City Council on rezoning requests, district design standards, and other land use rules. This meeting of the Denver Planning Board begins now. Good afternoon, everyone. I would like to call the, to order the day is today, the, the 20th. December 20th. Uh, 23 meeting of the Denver Planning Board. Uh, I'll go ahead and start with roll call. Sarah Course. Here. Rachel Marion. Here. Griffin Flock. Here. Eddie Majerick. Here. Goja Khan. Here. Gary Coddington. Here. Fred Cliff. Here. And we have Angel, Claude, and Melissa as excused. And that is everyone. And I'm Keith McConnor, and I'm also here. Um, Planning Board reserves time at the beginning of every meeting for public comment, but on items that are not um, already scheduled for a hearing or on our regular agenda. So this is a time to let us know something you think planning board should know about, but planning board will not be responding or entering into a dialogue about it because it's not on the publicly noticed agenda. If you are here to give comment on something you would like planning board to know about that is not otherwise on the agenda, please raise your hand and you will have three minutes. Uh, it doesn't look like we have anything for the general comment. All right, with that, um, we don't have any meeting records to approve today, so we will um, move on to the next item on the agenda, which is the Planning Board Bylaws Amendment. Um, the uh, Revised bylaws with uh, red line revisions was circulated to the board and is available to the public online. I don't think there's a staff presentation or anything like that, is there? Uh, nope, I think we already covered that at the last meeting. <clears throat> yeah, so with that, I would take up a motion unless there's uh, discussion. I move to approve the, um, the bylaw amendments. Second. And I have a motion and a second, and I will go ahead and do a roll call. Sarah? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Jordan? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Bosha? Aye. Mary? Aye. Fred? Aye. I vote aye as well. All right. Um, our planning board bylaw amendments are now approved. Um, moving um, on, before we dive into our consent agenda and regular agenda, I wanted to call for any disclosures or recusals for today's immediate items. Are there any planning board members who have any statements? Um, I have one, um, which is on item six, the comprehensive sign plan amendment. Um, my firm has previously represented Ninth in Colorado in its development, although I was not personally involved, but we were not involved in the comprehensive sign plan amendment that is on the consent agenda for consideration. And so I don't believe I have a conflict and I believe I can vote on it without um, kind of prior impressions. So I will continue and, and vote on that today but wanted to disclose it. Um, with that, uh, we have um, two items on our consent agenda. Official uh, map amendment application 2023I00162 rezoning 3150 West Scott Place from USUC to USUB1. And then we also have a comprehensive sign plan amendment CSA 2023 00000013-amend for 1000 Colorado Boulevard. Um, these items are placed on our consent agenda because they meet the criteria in exhibit two of our bylaws. 
including appearing to clearly meet the criteria, having no known significant controversy, and having no members of the public here to testify to those items. Um, is there any member of the public here online or he, anyone here in person that would like to remove them from the agenda? Can I ask a bad question? Having just approved the bylaws amendment. Um, Adam is online. I think our thinking was that upon uh, the board's approval, we would basically take the new approach starting with the next, the next meeting. meeting. Okay. Good question. Great. Just wanted to ask. Good question. <laughs> so we will continue to act under our prior bylaws until the next meeting. Um, thank you. Um, okay. I don't think we see anybody online, and there's no one here in person. Is there any board member that would want to pull it off? Okay, great. Um, with that, I will request a motion and a second uh, for approval of the consent agenda. I move to approve the consent agenda. Second. Well, and I'll do a roll call vote. Sarah? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Jordan? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Gosha? Aye. Mary? Aye. Fred? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Great. Both of the items on the consent agenda are now approved, and we'll move on to our regular agenda. Uh, the first item, um, uh, that we will cover is the official map amendment application 2023I00062, rezoning 61, 73, 75, 87, and 95 North Lincoln Street from GMU5 UO3 and GMS5 UO1 and UO2 to GMS5. Um, and for those online or here in person, um, typically the process that we use is um, we have the case manager give a presentation, then the applicant has the opportunity to give a presentation. Then we open it up to the public for um, speakers limited to three minutes. Um, and then we'll go ahead and um, uh, ask some questions and discuss amongst ourselves. Um, so with that, I will turn this over to the case manager, Alisa Childress. Thanks. Good afternoon. My name is Elisa Childress. I'm with Community Planning and Development, and I'm here to present the re rezoning application at 6173, 7587, and 95 North Lincoln Street. I'll start with some information about the request. This is an applicant-driven application requesting to change the zoning classification for the properties at 61, 73, 75, 87, and 95 North Lincoln Street. The northernmost property is currently zoned General Urban, Main Street, five stories with the billboard use overlay and the adult use overlay. The rest of the properties are currently zoned General Urban, multi-unit, five stories with a historic structure use overlay. The requested zone district for all of the properties is General Urban, Main Street, five stories with no overlay districts. This area encompasses five properties for a total of 30,653 square feet. Currently on the site, there is a single story commercial building, surface parking, a single family residential house, and a duplex. And the intention of this rezoning is to redevelop the properties under a common zone district. Moving on to the location and context, this site is located in Council District 7. It's in the Spears Statistical Neighborhood. And then here's the existing zoning map. Um, again, the northernmost property is zoned GMS5, UO1, and UO2, and the rest of the properties are zoned GMU5, UO3. There is proximity to property zone GMU5, GMS5, and B4 nearby. The existing land use is currently office and retail, parking, and single unit and two unit residential. There's some single unit residential use across Lincoln Street, and then commercial and retail to the north and across the alley. 
Here's some photos of the property. So the top photo shows the commercial building and the surface parking lots. And then the bottom photo shows the single unit house and the duplex. And then for context here, are some surrounding properties, um, including the commercial property to the north and then some of the single unit housing across Lincoln Street. I'll now talk about the process to date. Property owners within 200 feet, relevant RNOs and all elected officials were notified about this application on August 28th. And then the same groups of people were notified again about today's planning board hearing on October 31st, and then again on December 4th due to rescheduling. So that leads us to today's hearing. So far, I've received 14 letters of support from neighbors and other stakeholders. The key themes of support include creation of the additional housing units and a commitment to affordable units. Letters also stated that allowing a mix of uses in this area would support local businesses and that the rezoning would positively contribute to the public realm by adding street level active uses. Lastly, I'll discuss the review criteria. For a rezoning to be recommended for approval by the planning board, it must be found that the requested map amendment is consistent with these five criteria outlined in the Denver Zoning Code. Staff does find this application consistent with all criteria. I'll start with the first criteria, which is consistency of adopted plans, and there are three adopted plans that apply to this area. Comprehensive Plan 2040 and Blueprint Denver, both of which are citywide plans, as well as the West Washington Park Neighborhood Plan. Starting with Comprehensive Plan 2040, the proposed rezoning meets multiple goals in this plan, um, one of which is ensuring that all Denver residents have safe, convenient, and affordable access to basic services and a variety of amenities, building a network of well-connected, vibrant mixed-use centers and corridors, and encouraging quality infill development that is consistent with the surrounding neighborhood, as well as other goals in this plan that are related to well-connected, safe, and environmentally resilient neighborhoods. Moving on to Blueprint Denver, the subject site is mapped as part of the general urban neighborhood context, which is described as having mixed use multi-unit along single unit development, including good street activation and safe active pedestrian scaled areas. The proposed zone district does align with this neighborhood context. The future places map designates the subject site as community corridor. These place types typically have a mix of office, commercial and residential uses. Buildings are linearly oriented along the street and the scale responds to the surrounding character. General height guidance in these areas is up to five stories. So therefore the proposed Main Street District does align with these characterizations. Um, lastly, the Blueprint Denver growth strategy is community centers and corridors where we expect to see 25% of new housing and 20% of new jobs by 2040. Moving on to the West Washington Park Neighborhood Plan. This plan was adopted in 1991, and at the time this plan was adopted, the majority of the subject properties were zoned R3, which is a high-density multi-unit district in the former Chapter 59 Zoning Code. This plan sets forth residential land use recommendation number two, which talks about exploring the possibility of reviewing this R3 district for possible changes to make allowed uses more compatible with existing moderate density land uses. Due to the age of this plan, development in the neighborhood that's occurred since 1991 and the adoption of Blueprint Timber 2019, um, staff finds that a rezoning to GMS-5 is consistent as it would allow more uses that could help support the growing needs of this neighborhood. Moving on to the next two criteria, um, the rezoning will result in a uniformity of district regulations and it will further public health, safety, and welfare, primarily through the implementation of adopted land use plans. 
Additionally, the GMS-5 district would allow a range of uses more compatible with a mixed-use corridor, which creates more opportunities for housing and community-serving businesses. The justifying circumstance for this rezoning is a city-adopted plan. So as mentioned earlier, Blueprint Denver does map this site as community corridor up to five stories consistent with the GMS-5 district. These plans were adapted, adopted after the date of approval of the existing zone district. Therefore, this is the appropriate justifying circumstance for this rezoning. And lastly, the proposed rezoning is consistent with the general urban neighborhood context, the Main Street districts, and the GMS-5 zone district. With that, um, staff does recommend that the planning board recommends approval based on the finding that all of the criteria have been met. Thank you very much. Um, is there an applicant presentation? Go ahead and give us your uh, name and address, please. My name is Dirk McQuistian, and my address is 2760 6th Street, Boulder, Colorado, 0304. So um, I, I'm, I'm the landowner and the developer for uh, 95 to 59 Lincoln. And I have worked and lived in this neighborhood for the last 18 years. Um, what we're requesting is that the four lots, the GMU uh, five lots to the south of the project site uh, be rezoned to GMS five. We are also proposing a development that incorporates the new um, enhanced housing affordability uh, density credit to include affordable housing at 10% of the units um, for 10% uh, of the units would be at 60% of the adjusted mean income. And uh, that would be for 99 years. This would be a mixed use, mixed income project. Uh, we're proposing two levels of structured parking underneath to fully park the project, six levels of four rent residential and ground floor commercial on Lincoln and First Street. This is my second application. I actually withdrew an application in 2022 because um, I'll talk about that on the next slide. But the primary uh, thing that we're trying to achieve in this project is GMU5 does not allow for street level commercial. Um, and there are significant setbacks, uh, both from the east and west side of the lot, uh, 15 feet from the west side in the alley and 10 feet from the east side on Lincoln. Uh, and that significantly impacted the um, density and the uh, number of units that we could build. Scenario one is the, I, my previous application in 2022, we attempted to rezone to GMS-5. Um, after proforming that project, we actually discovered that we couldn't build it because due to financial infeasibility, it lost money. And there is a mistake on that scenario one, it actually included affordable. Um, scenario two, after we withdrew the application, we explored a GMU five mixed zone, five story building uh, that actually would require a structural joint in the building that's fairly expensive to do due to the uh, smaller number of units and some of those structural issues. We actually projected a $10.2 million loss on that project. So therefore it was unbuildable. After that in uh, really June of last year, we withdrew and canceled the project. 
Scenario three and four are what I'm here to talk to you about today. We've, we've looked at both scenarios. Uh, with the current interest rate climate and construction cost climate, scenario three was something that we could build, but it was unfinanceable due to um, not meeting the criteria for an investor pro forma or a bank to finance it. So scenario four is really the only thing that we really believe can be built in the economic climate that we're in. And it would be a five-story building plus two levels. So a seven-story building with the enhanced housing affordability. It would yield roughly 167 units and 17 of those units would be permanently affordable. I've done extensive neighborhood engagement uh, throughout this project for over the last three years since 2020. I've spent 250 hours of my own personal time um, and I've presented to uh, 40 uh, individuals and business groups. Uh, I've met with three RNOs that I've been working with on a community benefit agreement, uh, LCB, LBC, RNO, WWPNA, and PHNA. Uh, we are on our third round of the CBA, uh, and I believe that we will achieve um, an agreement by the first reading. Uh, um, I've also personally walked the neighborhood and spoken to uh, residents uh, that I was able to get in touch with at 217 addresses. We also did a, a leave behind piece for public information on that, um, on the project. Some of the discoveries that I, uh, made through the uh, through talking to people in the neighborhood. I won't read them all to you, but um, the neighborhood is very concerned about uh, attractive architecture that's characteristic of historic materials, brick and stone in the neighborhood, and they'd like to see that reflected in this building. They're very concerned about uh, pedestrian vehicular safety and improving the landscaping along Lincoln at first with a request to uh, landscape it and also have sprinkler systems uh, that are managed by the building itself. Okay. Um, some of the neighborhood benefits would be uh, mixed use retail, um, more housing, affordable housing, safer streets. We'd eliminate three curb cuts and we'd widen the alleys. Uh, there would be sufficient parking for the entire project inclusive of the retail and all the tenants. It'd be a public art space to the west and south side of the building. And um, we would improve infrastructure in terms of landscaping, sidewalks, and the power poles in the alley. That is really the extent of my presentation. Thank you all for your time and um, happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much. You actually answered the one question I had, which was why you chose the GMS or GMS five instead of ME five. Um, with that, we'll open it up to a full public testimony. I don't think we have anyone online, but I, I believe we do have someone here in person, sir. Are you here to speak about this one? Yes, I am. Oh, great. Go ahead and come on up. Um, you. And you uh, go ahead and give your name and address, and you have three minutes. You can come right, yeah, right here. Um, I'm here to speak for the project. Um, we have a bad homeless problem on Broadway, as you all know. Um, hopefully, with this new project, we'll be able to cut off a lot of that alley area where they decide to make their homes. Um, 
been a real problem. The homeless thing down there has, has, has gotten fairly bad. And hopefully this will clear some of that up, give them less area to sprawl all over the place. Um, it also includes a lot more parking, which we need down there. We have a parking problem on Broadway. I have the property at 60 Broadway, 50 Broad, 58, 60, 64 Broadway, which is across the alley from this. And uh, exactly how you hammer out the details as to how much retail you want to let Dirk have or how much you don't, I don't really care about that. But I do care about the parking situation and the homeless situation. And this should help a lot in that area. Thank you. And, sorry, could you uh, give us your name? Harley, Ellen Swig. Thank you. All right, anyone else? Thanks, Harley. All right, with that, um, I will open it up to questions from the planning board. None? Oh, sorry, go ahead. For, for staff, please. I don't know if it's a question or a suggestion, maybe somewhere in between. Um, both Lincoln and Broadway are um, enhanced transit corridors in the Denver Most Transit Plan. And I think it'd be great to incorporate that information in the presentation. Um, I don't know if Denver Most Transit is an adopted plan. Do you know if it is an adopted plan? I, I can respond to that, but it, it, so it, it is not an, an officially adopted mm -hmm. plan. But I think it provides great guidance and context, especially for applications like that. We have a lot of conversations about drive-throughs in context of how land use intersects with transportation. And I think in this case, this is uh, an example where um, transportation system is, is an asset to the property. And I think you worth knowing. Any other questions? Great, okay, that I'll go ahead and close the public hearing um, and open it up for board deliberation. Rachel. Uh, I think that um, this application clearly meets the criteria and will be a value add for that community. I also just wanted to say that I appreciated the conversation around or this applicant presentation that talked about the different scenarios and um, what is financeable and what isn't. I think in the city, we have lots of conversations about what could be tweaked to allow particularly more density, particularly more affordable housing to be developed. And um, that just really succinctly illustrated how hard it is to get some of these projects to pencil. And so uh, I just appreciated that uh, part of the presentation. Um, so technically planning board is agnostic to what ends up happening on the site, but I really liked seeing the amount of engagement that went in on this uh, project to date, and especially the table that laid out community concerns and the developer response and how those were being folded into the plan. Um, just from a, a planning perspective where we integrate our community in these conversations, that was heartening to see. I did have one question for us. So hopefully I shouldn't have asked that before, but um, just with starting to see applications come through that are leveraging EHA, it was clear that that 
that that incentive was being used from the application. It wasn't clear to me if I was just looking at the staff report. Is that something that we're supposed to know? Should that be flagged in the staff report? I just wasn't wasn't sure. Yeah, our position a, on that. I think it's a really good question. I think maybe it'd be something to kind of talk about in a work session um, or kind of future uh, kind of board time because I. Yeah, just in, ensuring we sort of have consistency in whatever approach we use. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think this is in conformance with plans and I will be supporting. Any other comments? Discussion? All right, that I will take a motion. I move to recommend the City Council approve application 2231 or 23I 00062 rezoning 617357 and 95 North Lincoln Street from GMU5, UO3, and GMS5, UO1, and UO2 to GMS5. Finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. Okay. Second. I have a first and a second from Fred. I'll roll call vote. Um, or, sorry, any final discussion? We'll move on to our next agenda item. Um, official map amendment application 2021I00038, rezoning 4120 North Federal Boulevard from USUC1CO8 to URX3. Um, so, again, uh, public hearing is open and we'll begin with a staff presentation. Good afternoon. My name is Edson Ibanez with CPD. Um, before you today, we're looking at 4120 North Federal Boulevard. So the request is to go from a single unit zone district to a residential mixed use up to three stories. Uh, so I'll go through the request and kind of location context process and the review criteria for this map amendment. So the first is the applicant is requesting to rezone the property so that they can construct nine townhomes on this specific site. And so the proposed, like I mentioned, is to go from a U SUC1CO8 to a RX3. The property is just over 12,000 square feet and used to be a formal firm, former medical clinic. So this site also used to do like COVID vaccines back in the day, uh, but right now it's vacant. Um, so little location and context is located in council district one and council member Sandoval's district uh, in the Sunnyside neighborhood at the very uh, west edge. And as you can see, the current zoning is USUC1CO8, uh, but it's surrounded predominantly by that single unit zone district. Uh, immediately to the south is UMX2X, which is a mixed use up to two stories. Um, and then just further south along Federal Boulevard, you can see uh, UMX2 and UMX3, and across the street is, is a park. Um, the CO2 is a conservation overlay, specifically applies for single unit and two unit uses. Um, the site itself, um, uh, when you're looking at the land use, is a formal clinic, which is more of commercial and retail, uh, classified by the assessors. But you can see there on the bottom left, the site um, 
and um, directly to the north is a single family house, but predominantly in the area, single family houses that range from one to two stories. Um, so now looking at the process, um, there's an informational notice in February of this year. It's before you today and tentatively will be before city council on February 2nd. So this case um, uh, is a little unique in the sense that when the application was first submitted, they applied for a UMX3. Um, over time, the applicant worked with uh, the various different RNOs and, and um, property owners and uh, given their involvement with the near Northwest area plan, they submitted a new application for a URX3. And in that process, they were communicating with the RNO and as well as the property owner. So our typical process when we have these applications is we notify various different RNOs, as you can see on the slide. Um, through that, the owner, um, the property owner applicant, um, were able to get into a good neighbor agreement with Sunny, which is the RNO there. And um, that uh, good neighbor agreement is attached to the staff report. And then uh, earlier today, there was an amended um, good neighbor agreement because they originally submitted a good neighbor agreement for the UMX3. But then since the applicant submitted for URX3, uh, that one page of just kind of just saying everything applies, but the zone district is URX3 that the applicant is pursuing. Um, with that as well, the, um, there was one comment from, adjacent, from the adjacent neighbor to the north um, through that, um, uh, they did intermediation, and through the mediation, a good neighbor agreement was formed, um, and a letter of support came out from the property owners directly to the north of the subject property. So with that, there are five review criteria that have, um, any MAP amendment have to meet, um, and I will jump into them shortly. So the first one is consistency with adopted plans. Um, so we're looking at several different plans, which is Conference and Plan 2040, Blueprint in Denver, the Sunnyside Neighborhood Plan, Federal Boulevard Corridor Plan, and then the Near Northwest Area Plan, which is currently in progress. So, so it's in this application is in a very unique situation, given that um, by the time this application gets to City Council, um, the Near Northwest Plan should be adopted. Um, so it, it's going to supersede the Sunnyside Neighborhood Plan, but given its current time, I do have to talk about it. Um, so with that, I'll jump into Conference of 20. 40, uh, 2040. So this, there's multiple strategies that this application um, falls under, but I do want to highlight within the equity and climate, specifically the equitable and um, affordable and inclusive goals, um, create a greater mix of housing options in every neighborhood for all individuals and families, as well as encourage quality infill development that is consistent with the surrounding neighborhood. And then in the environmentally resilient uh, goal eight, strategy A, promote info development where infrastructures and services are already in place, as well as encourage mixed use communities where residents can live, work, and play in their own neighborhoods. Uh, within Blueprint, this area is classified as um, small uh, urban, which is described as small multi-unit residential and mixed use areas that are typically embedded with one and two units. And then the block patterns are generally regular and mixed in alley axis. Um, Blueprint classifies this area as low residential, which is predominantly single and two unit um, uses, but it does go on to say that limited mi mixed use can occur along arterial or collector streets, as well as where other commercial uses have already been established. Um, Federal Boulevard is classified as residential arterial. Um, it's also a high capacity transit corridor. Um, and um, 
It's classified as all other areas of the city where we anticipate to see 20% of new housing growth and 10% of new employment growth here by 2040. Uh, now the Sunnyside neighborhood plan is, uh, was adopted in 1992. This plan specifically calls the property out as mixed use. It does not provide any height recommendation, nor does it provide any type of recommendation along mixed use, but it does give some sort of uh, recommendation on the land use and zoning that talks about maintaining and stabilize the residential character of Sunnyside while encouraging small scale shops and offices that will enhance and serve the neighborhood. Um, when we look at the Federal Boulevard Corridor Plan, it was adopted in 1995. Uh, it does specifically say that properties between West 38th and 44th Avenue, which this property is on 40, 41st and Federal, it does talk about having a strong residential character. It specifically gives focus on streetscape and landscape requirements along the sidewalk, but it does talk about small commercial uses can occur in many intersections. Um, and then highlighting the near nose area plan. So this plan came before you at the last plan board meeting on the 6th of December, and it's scheduled to go before um, full, the full body of city council on January 22nd, but I do want to highlight what that plan and this draft says. So, um, you know, the future place type for this area is classified as low, medium residential, which is different from Blue Plant. Blue Plant classifies as low. Um, part of the adoption of the Near North Area Plan would also update Blue Print to low, uh, medium residential. And so when you look at the description of low, medium, it says that mix of low to mid-scale multi-unit residential building forms, as well as limited neighborhood service a servicing commercial can be found with a height recommendation of three stories. So those are the two maps um, highlighted there. When we look at the sunny side section within the plan, it does provide some recommendations such as uh, a recommendation SL8, residential low medium, encourage desired design outcomes with low medium place, places that are compatible with the neighborhood. So when we dive into the you know, good neighbor agreement, which is a document normally we don't assess as part of the criteria, uh, which is attached to the staff report. It does give a lot of um, design recommendations, uh, specifically that the sunny RNO worked out with the with the property owners wanting that specific design outcomes for the neighborhood that talk about um, brick and, and just overall design features that they want to see for the townhomes. Uh, and so I just wanted to highlight that here. With that, you know, looking at uh, second and third criteria, uniformity of district regulations, proposed rezoning to URX3 will result in a uniform application of the zone district building form use and design regulations, um, as well as uh, it would further, with further public health, safety and welfare, will implement adopted plans, provide an additional housing unit that is compatible and integrated into the surrounding neighborhood. And then justifying circumstances, uh, the applicant highlighted a city adopted plan. And then the last one, it's consistent with the neighborhood context on district purpose and intent statement. So uh, URX3 in um, the purpose of URX3 is to allow limited commercial strictly just to the first floor. And then anything above that is strictly residential. Um, so with that, um, CPD recommends approval based that all the findings of the criteria have been met. Um, the there is an applicant presentation, so let me pull that up.
Thank you, Ezra. My name is Steve Ferris. Uh, my address is 1522 Blake Street, Suite 350, Denver, 80202. Um, I'm here today for the landowner. Um, they are KLM, Colorado, Mike Shatt. Unfortunately, he's under the weather. He is virtually. I'd be glad to answer any questions if you guys have any. Um, this is an interesting rezoning that we actually started in 2021. And it was, we obviously met with Sonny right away and talked informally to the adjacent neighbors and others and reached out to Brun and to Harkness Heights. Uh, they were not as interested in, in the, the other RNOs more or less begged off. They, they haven't responded or they're not active. They did say that they're, they were also in the case of Brun, they were not in their area. We worked with right away with Sonny and Sonny was very supportive. We have a GNA that I hope if you've taken a look at it, it's, I thought they were very insightful in that they were looking for missing middle housing. So was uh, my client and the owner of this land. Uh, we developed a plan for nine side-by-side -side row homes, five fronting federal. Uh, I'll show you that plan further down here. And they agreed to support it. At, at that time, we were thinking UMX3 was the zoning district. Um, with further discussions, and, and by the way, this is some of that history. I'm trying to take some time here. I think you guys have most of this stuff already. Uh, it's a unique plotting pattern along here, but also Federal Boulevard is somewhat unique compared to the surrounding area as it is a, a large arterial and has only gotten busier over the years. Um, the key thing here is uh, this last bullet about the development near Northwest area plan. Um, we wanted to proceed in 2021 and, and talking to uh, neighbors and to CPD, you know, they wanted us to wait for the near Northwest plan to be adopted. And we could see there was benefits to that. And, and, and we wanted to see how that evolved and participated in it as well. And, and saw how those neighborhoods came together with CPD to respond and create some unique changes and advantageous housing opportunities along streets such as federal. Uh, so as we moved through those in that last two years, the other thing CPD did, what I thought that was very thoughtful, they offered mediation because our next door neighbor immediately north, who may be here today, uh, uh, I don't know, offered, uh, um, was concerned about how this building would impact them. And they have a single family house directly to the north. But we developed this plan and shared it with them. And through mediation, secured a, another good neighbor agreement with those neighbors. And they're now supportive of the project. We will create a, a wall to protect their privacy more. But this is the basic plan. The, uh, the idea is that this would complement the neighborhood through the use of traditional material like brick and evoke at least some traditional Victorian architectural style. And this is an attachment to the good neighbor agreement. You know, it is a concept plan. There's no more detail than really what you see here, but um, uh, it's really the intent as the builder and the owner who is actually a builder as well to uh, build something very, very close to this. Um, this regulator stuff, Ed has, Edson has gone through. Uh, I don't wanna redo it. Uh, as, you, as he mentioned, this residential low criteria has been changed um, it, from blueprint in the near Northwest, Northwest plan adoption and development. Um, I think the key thing us, for us is that uh, we're, it's a win-win here to rezone this, to allow these carriage, missing middle housing, you wanna call it or row homes or carriage housing 
we're, we're really hoping that the allowance of the rezone for up to three stories, and really at a townhouse form like this, we have no interest in using a fourth story. Um, but with that addition, we, um, we can provide some of the opportunities for housing that the neighborhood wants. That's really the summary of uh, our proposal. You know it's, it's URX3. Uh, I hope you can support us. Thank you. Um, with that, I'll see if there's anyone here in the room. I know we do have some people online. Is there anyone here in person who wants to speak? So, okay, great. Um, so signed up online. The first person we have is Chad Lindsay. I believe is how you say your last name. Go ahead and unmute yourself. Go ahead and give your name and address and you have three minutes. Yes, thank you. My name is Chad Lindsay. I am the owner of 4138 Federal Boulevard, uh, Denver, Colorado, 80211. I am here to speak um, for, I guess, the, the property rezoning application. Um, I want to first thank Edson and Andrew for all their support in this process. You know, it's been pretty tough for us as, as homeowners to, to, you know, think about what's going to happen. And obviously, we still have our concerns about you know, the development and, and demolition process, you know, going forward, we are really the only neighbors, um, you know, really against this property or near adjacent to this property. Um, so, yeah, we have concerns about it, but I think, you know, with the GNA in place, we are, you know, looking forward to the removal of, of the blight that is, is currently on the property. Um, it's in, in pretty a sad state and it has attracted a lot of squatters and you know it seems like the police are there every other day or so now um so we're we're looking forward to the development of this property so thank you for the time thank you um the next person we have signed up online is jojo law but unmute yourself and give your name and address good afternoon uh my name is jojo law and i co-own the property directly to the north applicable to this application at 4138 Federal Boulevard, 80211. I have been working on this map amendment for almost two years now since the inception of the applicant uh, submitting an application, spending an outstanding number of hours on this application. It has been a very difficult and long process to say the least. We have reached a good neighbor agreement with the applicant and we have fulfilled our requirements in the applicant we expect the applicant to execute the remaining requirements of the agreement before, during, during, and after construction. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for making time to be here today. Uh, the next person signed up is Trupti Suthar. Go ahead and give your name and address. Hi, thank you. My name is Trupti Suthar. I live at 4223 Tejon Street, Denver, Colorado, 80211. I am speaking on behalf of the Sunnyside uh, Registered Neighborhood Organization. I am on their land use committee and also their president currently. And I am speaking in favor of uh, this rezone. The applicant has been very proactive, was willing to work with us. I mean, they in fact asked us whether we want a GNA, which is very unusual because most times you have to like pull teeth to get GNAs from developers, but they spent a lot of time listening to us and we did have an issue. And, you know, at the time we were also going over an overlay. So a lot of the things that were problematic for people, we were aware 
of what you know the public's issues were with the new development going up. So we worked with these guys. You wanted you know pitches on roofs. We want to make sure there was you know windows that first floor first story uh, porches. We wanted some street activation and we wanted some brick. And you know um, they were accommodating and worked with us and obviously very patient. This has been two years in the making. Um, you know and they were. You know, we asked them to notify their neighbors and they sent certified letters to everybody, letting them know that this was happening and when our meeting was so that people can come and participate. So, you know, we're delighted to have, again, you know, gentle density with something that um, fits the context and character um, and, and townhomes, frankly, because I think that's also a missing issue here. A lot of the stuff we're getting in Sunnyside right now is near the railroad corridor where things are really apartments, you know, five-story, five-on-one apartment buildings. So having these townhomes, which is going to, you know, allow for ownership, you know, so having this different various, various um, building forms for uh, for residents in Sunnyside, I think that's a, a benefit to have that. So overall, we're really um, happy with the project um, that they've uh, put together and we um, anticipate that they'll build something very close to it. And, you know, they've kept us in the loop the whole time. And we're aware of the second GNA and I'm glad that they've reached uh, an agreement that allows this to move forward. So um, yeah, 100% for um, this uh, rezoning. Thank you. Great, thank you very much. Um, and then the uh, last person that's registered to speak online is Virginia Lansdale. Go ahead and give your name and address and you have three minutes. Oh, my name is Virginia Lansdale. I'm the uh, tenant at the corner of 41st and Federal, 4100 Federal. And I don't really have anything to comment except I would love to see this building get scraped as soon as possible. It's it's like the gentleman said earlier, it's a blight on the neighborhood. I own a day spa next door to the property. And it's really hard to come up with a luxury experience when you have seven squad cars in your parking lot. So it. I, I'm happy with what they're doing, what they're trying to do, and I would totally support uh, the approval of this application. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I think that is it for online um, or in person. Um, if you are online and you do wanna speak, uh, go ahead and raise your hand, but I think we are good. Okay, great. Um, with that, I'll go ahead and open it up to the board for questions. Go ahead, Heidi. I have a question for the applicant. Steve, was there any thought about waiting to bring this to hearing until the uh, near Northwest neighborhood plan was approved so there was clear on questionable plan guidance supporting the result? Well, we, I guess in talking through what the near Northwest plan does and knowing that we're not going to council until after it's a, it should be adopted, we'll be going to council in February. I think the near Northwest plan is in January. And we demonstrated consistency with it. We felt like for all intents and purposes, we were we did achieve exactly what you're asking. Thank you. So just clarifying that timeline, I think that was what I was talking to. The near Northwest plan will have been considered by city council and will be, I think they what adopt what we approved um, ahead of this hearing. Is that right from staff? That's right. Okay, yeah. Um, did you have further questions, Heidi? No. Okay, um, Fred. I have just a quick question for staff to help clarify my thinking. <clears throat> um, I wanted to check. I note that the uh, conservation overlay eight goes away in the proposed zoning. And I wanted, there was language about that in the staff report. And of course we can't get to the zoning code. Is that because CO8 does not apply 
only applies to SU and TU districts. And it's, so it's district-based as opposed to applying to different forms. Correct. So the COA is predominantly just for this SU and TU zone districts. So it wouldn't apply for a URX3. Thank you. Other questions? Um, I, I had one, uh, and this is maybe under justified circumstances, but it almost seemed like this is the zone USUC1, but had this medical office operation, and the building looks commercial. And I know the building to the south is zone commercial. I mean, is there any sort of question of was this just an oopsie when in 2010 they zoned it that way? I mean, I don't know what, if there's any question or any factual information we all have, but it just seemed like it probably should have been picked up as commercial, like the one directly to its south, and maybe wasn't. I don't know. I don't have the answer for that, given it was in 2010. Sure, Andrew, if you might know. My apologies. I was looking up the information about the COA real quick, and I missed the question. I was just, I was more wondering, I mean, this historically has been this medical office, the building itself looks like a commercial building and and obviously it operated um, after 2010 when it was owned USUC1 because it was kind of uh, a non-conforming use, I assume. Um, but just curious kind of if you guys looking back think maybe this was just sort of missed and should have probably been zoned in more alignment with the property to the South. I think the woman that spoke in fact, um, I mean, it's neither here nor there because we're kind of here, but more when I was thinking about justified circumstances of maybe it was even, it should have been yeah, mapped it's, differently. It's a great question. And, and Edson and I have both kind of been familiar with this property for a long time and have looked at, you know, tried to understand some of that past uh, uh, zoning. I think all we can assume uh, is that in 2010, they decided to use the recommendation from the Sunnyside plan uh, and be consistent with that. And it may have been at that time that the structure that's there now, I think was sort of like a house that was later modified maybe to use for a commercial purpose. Uh, it also may have been related to outdated um, land use data, which we get from the assessor and what we use to help uh, guide decision-making about plan guidance. And it may not have captured the commercial use at that time. I will say that, you know, the commercial use was likely, you know, a legal non-conforming use that was legally established at some point and, and able to continue with that single unit zone district, but hard to know what the, what the history was and why it got single unit zoning. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, and then just a second question on kind of the timing that Heidi called out with near Northwest plan um, being approved. Do you expect that you will be doing kind of a, an update on your staff report so that the, the report that goes to city council really doesn't kind of talk about the more historic plans and really just, just touches on near Northwest or how are you thinking you're going to do that as your staff report? So, yeah. So leading up to the city council hearing date, which is February 12th, I believe, um, the staff report will get modified and will the, the section of Sunnyside will be removed and the near Northwest plan will replace that section. Uh, so yes, and we've done it in the past for multiple neighborhood plans. We have these kind of unique situations where you have an application in the middle of a plan being adopted. Thank you. Um, okay, any other questions from the board? Okay, with that, uh, I'll go ahead and close the public hearing. We don't have any further comments um, and open for board deliberation.
Heidi and then Rachel. So I think this is the second time I've seen a rezoning come before us that um, is relying on a, a neighborhood plan that's not quite adopted yet. It's about to go to city council. City council will be ahead of it. Um, and it needs that neighborhood plan to have absolutely clear plan guidance, whereas plan guidance without it is somewhat questionable. So my concern is that we're betting on city council voting this up. Um, and so I don't think I'm comfortable with that. And with the plan guidance that's in place, the residential low in the in Blueprint Denver is um, questionable enough for me that the three-story would be appropriate um, and the multi-unit would be appropriate that I'm not finding this um, meeting the criteria and I won't be voting for Rachel, you were next, and then Fred. Um, I had similar uh, concerns as Heidi, and I think the really um, one of the times that this came up, it was a struggle in a conversation was with Park Hill Golf Course. Um, but I do think we're in this, even in a in a staff report where you can't not talk about the near Northwest plan but it's not adopted and then therefore not part of our, you know, criteria, review criteria. I think it's, um, I think we're in a difficult position on that. Uh, and then my last comment is just more sort of a general comment on good neighbor agreements. Um, I struggle with good neighbor agreements just generally, I think, uh, neighbors that put time and effort and negotiation into them view them as the equivalent of a negotiated PUD and they are not that and um, and so that's just more of a general comment that I think as a city I know that it appeases neighbors to to enter into them but they don't have teeth really and I think um, so I just, I just struggle with using that to sort of check the box and make neighbors happy when really the developer could do, could ignore everything in that good neighbor agreement and um, move on. So that's not with this applicant, that's a more broader good neighbor agreement um, beef that I have. Right. You know, I, I echo uh, some of Rachel's concerns about good neighbor agreements and, and particularly when you look at them and they include things that, may not uh, be permittable, such as an eight foot wall between the two properties and, and kind of promoting outcomes that are probably from an urban design standpoint, highly questionable. Um, that aside, it, it's kind of between the, the two parties. So, uh, you know, it's not really our remit and I, I have that concern and it's not our remit in a lot of ways. And that's, and it's unfortunate that it's kind of viewed as being part of the rebit. And I think there's a difference between yeah. if two independent parties want to go ahead and do that, great. But for the city to highlight it, put it on the website, I struggle a bit yeah. there. Um, but with regards to, to Heidi's, I, I, I thought that we had in the past resolved this by making our approval conditional on the on the adoption of the small area plan, which seems to me to be a very viable path to doing this. Um, it creates the condition that, that our approval is conditional on the 
adoption by city council of the small area plan. I think it is a path that is important because we know that our, many of our small area plans where they exist are um, woefully out of date and don't necessarily, aren't necessarily applicable. We know that communities have spent time and energy on these. And in some cases they've taken an unfortunate length of time to get from community development to adoption by city council. And to have that hold up the production of new housing seems to me to be um, a, a mistake. So I will be happy to make a motion at the appropriate time, making this condition, making our approval conditional on that. And I hope that uh, my colleagues will be willing to support that. That would resolve my issue, Fred, if we can make it conditional on approval of the neighborhood plan by city council. I just was thinking we couldn't do uh, conditional approvals. Um, just so you all know, I think we're going to have Adam maybe feed us some language so we can match the language that we used the last time around Park Hill because it was the same concept. So yeah, I was yeah. not at the Park Hill hearing. So bless you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just that wasn't purposeful. So <laughs> uh, yeah, if we can do that, then I'm happy to approve this application. Um, Mary and then Jordan. Yeah, um, I. I wish that I could pull up blueprint so I could get more of the language. Uh, but from the excerpt that we have here, um, I, I'm fine with conditional approval. I actually don't think it's strictly necessary if this is accurate for the urban neighborhood context containing small multi-unit residential interspersed in. I, I feel like it can be interpreted as, as being okay um, just by virtue of blueprint even without Northwest area, but if the group feels better with a conditional approval, I'm good with that too. But what about the sunny side plan? I, uh, you know, I think that that probably feeds into the conversation we're going to have with Scott in a little bit. Um, I know one of the questions that we've been raising about the MPIs is like, how old is too old? Yeah, actually, I was going to make a comment similar to that. I do think that, I mean, it's almost 30 years old and the city has changed dramatically since then, but it is something that we need to clarify how we use ancient plans. Uh, I just wanted to say, I, I also feel very comfortable with approving it conditional to city council uh, approval. Um, and for the, just to comment on the good neighbor, I, I agree with you. I, I, they are toothless, but I just want to make the point here that even if they were incredibly enforceable in this case, with the condition that city council approves the plan, it wouldn't change anything in my opinion anyway. I think it would, it would, it would fit criteria without any additional support from another a different type of group. Agreed, that was just, just overall uh, adjacent yeah. soapboxing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, I have, a, I have a question on the, on the plan and the contingent um, and understand, understand completely from just like a rational standpoint, a 1992 plan rationally, there things have changed, understand rationally that this makes sense. The lawyer part of my brain struggles with like, 
like, where do we have these contingencies? Like, well, you know, should a stoplight be approved and should the designation of this street corridor be changed by city council? Should like all of these like what ifs happen then contingent on all those what ifs we support it. Um, when we say when, you know, our requirements are adopted plan criteria that is what we're supposed to be looking at, not like potential future adopted plan criteria. I struggle a bit. So if anybody has. I'll be, I'll be happy to dive in on that one. It's something I've thought a lot about. And we've had, we had discussion a while back about the use of conditions. And I think there was general consensus that conditions were to be used in a but for circumstance. So, but for that condition, it would not meet the criteria. So I think it really tightens that fairly, the circumstances in which we would use it. And I think it's appropriate, particularly with a plan that is in progress and already approved by planning board, but not yet adopted to say, you know, with that condition, it will meet adopted plan guidance at that stage. Otherwise, we'd be stretching the process out for people unnecessarily, I think. I agree 100% with that. And I think the but for that's helpful. <clears throat> It'd be more helpful for my twitchy brain, I think, if we changed, like if there was, you know, talking about amendments to our, our um, criteria, that if there was language in there, because we do want to move these through. And I think, frankly, would like to see more rezonings to move through with plans um, at the time of plan approval and adoption that, you know, maybe there's some language to put in that recognizes that dynamic um, within our governing documents, charter, et cetera. Right. And maybe, maybe that's it. It's like justifying circumstances is plans approved by a planning board instead of adopted plans. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if either within the bylaws or adjacent to the bylaws, there is a place for some clarifying language about how things work. That would be a great conversation for a study session. Yeah. yeah. Any other comments or discussion on this particular item? Brad, I think if you have any mother, oh, sorry, did yeah. you have one? No, okay, there's some language that. I'd be happy to make a move, a motion. I'm just saying, <laughs> slightly updated language for it. Okay, <laughs> hold on. Dun, 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 there you go. You pause. <laughs> pause. And, I, uh, but, and I'll just maybe make a comment while you're waiting. Um, you know, I, I agree with the concern around good neighbor agreements. I also think kind of the flip of it is clear that this property owner and the applicant have really taken the time to do that outreach both with the neighborhood organization and with the neighbor to the north and in particular where you have mediation that kind of resolves in this. You know, I don't, I think we put, I think we put our property owners in our neighborhoods in, in tough situations where that is their path to kind of lay out what their agreement is outside of the zoning. And so I think you're right. It's more kind of how do we hold it up or how do we consider it versus 
it's something that they've worked out on their own and are comfortable with. Um, yeah. But I, but I want to acknowledge the hard work that they all put in totally. because we want them all to do that, right? And so it's, um, but that's often the result. Go ahead, Brian. Okay. I move to recommend that City Council approve application 2021-I-00038 rezoning 4120 North Federal Boulevard from USUC1 CO8 to URX3 with the condition that the near north area, northwest area plan as approved by the Denver Planning Board is adopted as an amendment to the comprehensive plan by city council and finding that all other applicable review criteria have been met. Second. Great, we have a first and a second. I will roll call. Um, Sarah. Aye. Rachel. Aye. Jordan. Aye. Heidi. Aye. Koja. Aye. Mary. Aye. Fred. Aye. And I vote aye as well. Um, thank you for your time. Good luck at city council. Um, with that, uh, we are moving on to our information items. First of those is Scott Robinson. Jennifer, you're very patient to sit through a meeting um, where we are going to hear about the Neighborhood Planning Initiative Program and its evaluation update. Um, and we've had a, a handful of presentations on NPI, and this is something kind of the concluding, um, concluding updates. So thanks for being here, Scott. Uh, thanks everyone. Hi, Scott Robinson, uh, Community Planning and Development, uh, Program Manager for the Neighborhood Planning Initiative. Uh, so as uh, Caitlin just said, uh, we've uh, given you an update now again on the NPI program evaluation. Uh, so give you sort of a, a background and recap of what we talked about uh, at the previous meeting in October. Um, and then talk about some of the updates and, and refinements we've made since then to the program, uh, and then get into what the next planning areas will be and the next steps for the planning process. We'll have time for uh, questions and discussion. Uh, so as a reminder, we're doing uh, an MPI program evaluation right now uh, as we wrap up. Uh, and before we launch phase three, um, so that near Northwest plan you were just talking about is the last plan in phase two. So before we launch phase three, wanted to take a pause, look at the program, make sure we have the right goals for the program and that we're accomplishing those goals and look at how we can improve uh, the plans and the plan process in terms of consistency, efficiency, and implementation, uh, and improve uh, equity throughout the process. So uh, through the evaluation, we determined uh, we wanted to make some changes to the program to make the process uh, more efficient and equitable, uh, improve the plans so that they're easier to understand and use, and better implementation going forward. Uh, so I'll summarize some of the key changes we're proposing to the program to improve the process and improve the plan content. Uh, in terms of process, we want to uh, really focus on the first round of engagement and really make sure that uh, everyone is aware of engagement at the beginning, uh, what we're calling the saturation engagement. 
uh, and then really ride the momentum of that first round of engagement throughout the rest of the planning process. Uh, part of that will be conducting a statistically valid survey uh, as part of that first round of engagement. We'll also uh, look to continue the community navigator program and expand that and use that throughout the planning processes. Uh, and we also want to move to an advisory committee model uh, to get broader and more consistent input uh, from the community uh, and pair that with an equitable engagement subcommittee of that advisory committee that will really focus on the uh, equity aspects of the planning process and make sure we're meeting our goals there. Uh, other process improvements include uh, streamlining the visioning process and consolidating that uh, with the second phase so that uh, when we go to, out to the community with that first round of engagement, we have uh, a set of draft recommendations that are best based on the existing recommendations in our adopted citywide plans, uh, comprehensive plan 2040 in Denver. And then we'll be asking the community to help us uh, refine and apply those recommendations to their area instead of uh, starting from a blank slate. Uh, we also want to use uh, on-call consultants to help us uh, speed up the procurement process so we can do these plans faster. And we think the outcome of this is that we'll be able to do these plans in about 18 months instead of the 30 plus months that it has been taking us on average. Uh, in terms of plan document improvements, uh, we want to keep the plan recommendations focused on um, topics covered in blueprint and comp plan uh, instead of getting off into to some of the other topics that the plans have covered um, and keep the recommendations in the plans really outcome oriented and, and sort of high level of this is what the area will look like in the future uh, and take out some of that uh, excessive detail that has been in, in some of the plans. Uh, we also want to reduce some repetition and improve um, uh, the language we use in the plan so that they're easier to read and easier to understand. Uh, and then speaking of that detail, we don't necessarily want to lose all of that detail that has been in some of these plans that is useful for us in moving the recommendations forward and implementing them. So we want to put that into an implementation plan appendix. Uh, that would be an appendix to the adopted plan. Uh, it'll help uh, identify the priorities and the next steps for uh, moving those priorities forward, allow us to uh, identify that level of detail that is helpful to us uh, without it getting confusing uh, in the plan document. So anyone can pick up the plan document and understand what the plan is trying to achieve, and we still have the detail we need uh, to move those recommendations forward. We also would like to get uh, more dedicated uh, staff involvement from other departments so that we have uh, folks in other departments whose job it is to help us with these MPI plans and they can really take ownership of uh, the recommendations that their departments will be responsible for. Uh, and then we want to rely on blueprint metrics. Uh, those uh, will be updated with the upcoming uh, update to Blueprint Denver that will start in 2024. Uh, and we want to identify some of those metrics that can also be applied at the area-wide level instead of just the citywide level. So we can have consistent tracking between the NPI plans and also between area plans and uh, the citywide plans. So that was a quick summary of uh, basically what we told you in October. Um, we met with you and city council back in October and got a lot of really good feedback, uh, generally support for a lot of the recommendations that have come out of the evaluation. Uh, but there was some conversation around how the advisory committee would work and, and if we're having fewer meetings with them, how would they have the time to uh, get up to speed and, and appropriately engage with the plan process. Uh, questions about uh, uh, topics, if we're focusing on what's in blueprint and comp plan, what will happen to uh, community concerns or comments about other topics. 
uh, questions about how the plans will address height recommendations going forward, uh, and a lot of conversation in October around this sort of uh, level setting and, and making sure everyone's on the same page when we start the planning process. Uh, we all have a common set of, of goals. So uh, in response to those comments, uh, we've uh, further defined some things in the proposal and, and made some updates. Uh, so I want to go over those quickly. Um, in terms of community outreach uh, and how we're going to improve that, uh, we're, part of that is looking to some of the lessons learned from the participatory budgeting or people's budget process uh, that has had some really good success in uh, engaging uh, community members and segments of the community that don't typically participate in our planning processes and haven't participated in the past. Uh, so we want to learn some of those lessons. Um, and part of that will be uh, putting more emphasis on partnering with community organizations, especially early in the process and working with them to identify uh, community leaders and other folks who should be um, members of that advisory committee and getting them to solicit nominations for that advisory committee and for uh, the community navigators. And then also looking for opportunities to support uh, more community-led activities. So if there's an existing community uh, activity or somebody wants to organize something around the plan, uh, how can we support that with uh, resources or, or funding uh, to make that happen? Uh, in terms of the advisory committee, uh, we want to move to this advisory committee model because we do think it will get us more equitable and effective uh, engagement from the community. We'll be able to uh, attract and retain a broader and more representative uh, sample of the community uh, by asking them to uh, meet less frequently and, and really focus on what's most needed uh, from the advisory committee. So that will still be helping us interpret community feedback, uh, resolve conflict conflicting direction from community members, and serve as liaisons to the community. That's uh, still the tasks that the steering committees have been doing and that the advisory committees will do going forward. And as I mentioned, we want to supplement this with an equitable engagement subcommittee uh, that will really focus on aspects of equity and make sure we're meeting our goals around an equitable process and equitable outcomes for those underrepresented communities. Uh, we'll be able to do more frequent meetings at the beginning to get the advisory committee up to speed, give them the trainings they need, get them familiar with the plan uh, and the process and each other and us. Uh, and then we can slow down uh, and have them meet uh, at the key milestones where we do that input, uh, as we get into the process. Uh, and then to keep them engaged between those meetings, uh, we can look for other opportunities and assignments to give them uh, without a meeting to keep them uh, in the community, engaged in the plan and, and thinking about uh, these outcomes. In terms of the plan topics, uh, as I mentioned, we wanna keep it focused on what's in comp plan blueprint, uh, but just as a reminder, that's still a fairly broad set of topics. So it's not just land use. Um, it, it also gets into affordability uh, and anti-displacement, economic development, uh, all aspects of mobility and quality of life infrastructure, which includes things like parks uh, and green infrastructure and access to healthy food. So the plans will still cover a, a fairly wide range of topics, uh, but there will be some things that uh, may come up from the community that won't fit into the plans anymore. And so we wanna make sure that we have a, a process for addressing those. Uh, and the first step will be looking to see if there's uh, another department or agency in the city that can address that topic. So if there's a concern about something, can we direct them to the appropriate uh, department that can address that concern, help them deal with it? Uh, that'll be the, the first option. If there's not a department that's dealing with it, uh, we don't want to lose that input. So we want to 
uh, capture that and record it in a community engagement report that will also be an appendix to the plan. Uh, so that way, if uh, a future our department uh, is working on a future master planning effort or starts uh, addressing that issue, we'll have that feedback uh, already captured to be able to inform those future efforts. Uh, in terms of height recommendations, uh, what we're proposing is moving away from having uh, a height map that covers the entire area. Uh, for the majority of the area, we, we want to defer to the height guidance from blueprint place types. So we'll have a place type map and we'll use the, the general height guidance from uh, blueprint place type descriptions to provide the, the appropriate height guidance for those areas. But there are some areas where we will want to provide more specificity, areas uh, where we're expecting a lot of change, where there's a mismatch between uh, guidance and existing zoning, uh, or we're recommending additional heights. And for those areas uh, where we want to have a more detailed and robust conversation with the community in general about what's happening there, uh, not just the height, uh, but as part of that, we, we think it would be appropriate to provide more detailed height guidance. So uh, in the focus areas, we may have sort of focused height maps for those areas, uh, but not for the entire plan area. Uh, and then as far as the sort of level setting or setting expectations at the beginning, uh, we really want to emphasize the previous planning work so that uh, these draft recommendations aren't coming out of thin air. Uh, this came out of an extensive community uh, engagement effort in developing Comprehensive Plan 2040 in Denver uh, only a few years ago. And that is what's setting the baseline here. Uh, and make sure that people are clear uh, where they fit into the planning process. Uh, so where the draft recommendations came from, how their input is being used to refine and inform those recommendations as we move to the draft plan phase, how they can continue to be involved in the process and, and how their input is important. And then similar to um, what we're talking about with the, the other topics, if there are uh, concerns about uh, process or, or other questions or other comments uh, we get around uh, the planning process, uh, we don't just want to dismiss those. We want to make sure we capture and record that input for, for future use. Uh, so that was uh, an update on uh, how we've refined the, the recommendations, the proposals since October. Uh, now I want to get into the next planning areas. Uh, so for phase three, uh, we're looking at the same uh, plan area selection criteria we've been using. We want to look at uh, indicators of planning need based on data. Uh, we updated those in 2002 to incorporate the Blueprint Denver equity considerations. So generally the topics we're using are uh, those equity measures, uh, some measures of investment or change in the neighborhoods, and um, whether they have a recent plan. We've been using plans adopted since uh, the original Blueprint Denver in 2002 was our definition of a recent plan. Uh, so as part of this evaluation, we were looking at, do we need to uh, change the way we're uh, selecting future plan areas? And basically we decided that using indicators of planning needs still made sense. Um, and we didn't want to uh, drastically change what we had already announced uh, last year as uh, would be the next plan areas. Uh, but we do wanna make some updates to this going forward. Uh, part of that will be, um, uh, as I mentioned, the update to Blueprint Denver will update some of those equity measures. So we we'll want to incorporate the new equity measures from updated Blueprint Denver, the refined equity measures. Uh, when we go to do the next round of plan selections for phase four, and then also moving forward, we want to update our definition of a current plan 
uh, for the purposes of, of determining which areas need a plan going forward. So we want to change that definition to uh, areas that have a plan adopted since the current blueprint number in 2019. And then we think with doing the plans faster, that'll help us get to uh, other high need areas uh, sooner. So even though we're uh, reducing the areas that have plan coverage, we'll be able to get to the rest of the city faster. Uh, so just as a preview, this is what our map would look like of areas that have a plan adopted since 2019. It's uh, basically the six NPI plans that have been done um, and Loretto Heights and the Parkville Golf Course plan. Uh, so the upshot of that is that the phase three plan areas uh, will be southwest and far southwest as we uh, announced previously and a downtown plan. Uh, a downtown plan will be uh, a little unique from the other NPI plans because uh, downtown is not a, a typical neighborhood. Uh, it serves the entire city uh, and has unique needs. Uh, the current plan for downtown was adopted in 2007, so it's almost 17 years old. Uh, it was adopted or was amended one time in 2018, and that amendment uh, focused on Central Platte Valley and was adopted as a separate document. Uh, so we want to be creative and thoughtful in how we scope the downtown plan and how we manage uh, resources. And we want to exi uh, leverage existing plans and efforts, such as that 2018 amendment, uh, current planning efforts that are going on, um, and where and focus where plan guidance is most needed. So for example, uh, the Burnham Yard plan is going on in uh, Alma Lincoln Park, so we want to uh, capitalize on that. Uh, we have a recently adopted plan for Golden Triangle. Uh, Auraria Campus is working on their own uh, master planning effort right now, so we want to coordinate and capitalize on those uh, existing or previous planning efforts. Um, so we think the focus of this downtown plan will really be on the core of downtown. Uh, that's where uh, we have the most need to set a roadmap for key items. Uh, like building a complete neighborhood and addressing a uh, struggling office market downtown. Uh, but a lot more conversation is needed about the scope and goals for this downtown plan. Uh, that's not the focus of our meeting today. Uh, so we'll continue to work on that and come back to you in the future with more detail on what's going on with the downtown plan. Uh, All right, Scott. Yeah. Uh, um, just to be clear, the downtown plan is different or the same as the central NBI? <laughs> It, uh, we can get into that when um, we get to questions a little more. Um, yeah, it's, it's nuanced. Um, so uh, timing, uh, Southwest and Far Southwest, uh, we're hoping to launch this spring uh, and with our 18 month uh, planning process complete in fall of 2025. Uh, the downtown plan will be a little bit behind that because we'll need uh, some more of that scoping work. So we're hoping to launch that mid 2024, complete by early 2026. Uh, and this will let us get to uh, at least the first two plans for phase four uh, in late 2025 and complete those by spring 2027. Uh, so we're going to get to those, get through those plans uh, under the current uh, council and, and mayor's term before um, the elections of 2027 and the new council takes office in summer of 2027. Uh, so next steps are finalizing the strategic plan. It will be ready in early January. Um, and we're in the process of uh, issuing an RFQ for the on-call consultants. We hope to have them on board this spring. Uh, so that'll let us launch Southwest and Far Southwest uh, in the spring and downtown, as I said, coming later in 20. So that's the end of the presentation. <laughs> now happy to answer questions. All right, uh, Jordan, then Mary, then Bush. 
the question I asked before. Uh, and then I have a couple others. <laughs> so Sarah Showalter's here. She can help answer questions about that. Good afternoon. Good to see all of you. I'm Sarah Showalter, Director of Planning Services. Just stepping in on this one because it's a bit unique. So um, it is it is part of the MPI program, and in that sense, it is the central area plan. Um, however, the central area planning area is very large and it includes a lot of very, I mean, all MPI plans, right, have a lot of different neighborhoods, but this is particularly unique in that you have um, our entire central business district and the Union Station and kind of the densest area in the whole city and, and kind of what people think of, I think, traditionally as downtown. But that central planning area also includes Lama Lincoln Park and Auraria and some very different communities as well as a lot of areas that have fairly recent plans or are about to have a plan. Um, so for example, while I'm in Lincoln Park, um, a huge portion of that will be uh, part of the planning area for the Burnham Yard um, area plan that we anticipate um, kicking off in order to guide um, what might happen with the redevelopment of that site. And so we've been talking um, with city council members, for example, around like it probably doesn't, it, it'll be confusing to have two plans kind of covering the same area and there'd be more value in what that community is really thinking about. They're not like identifying as part of the core of downtown, right? And are gonna be uh, more interested and engaged in a plan that's more focused on um, a big site like Burnham Yard that's directly impacting their neighborhood. Um, we wanna be really thoughtful with our resources for a downtown plan. Um, unlike a traditional neighborhood plan, uh, downtown is everyone's neighborhood. And so the engagement that we need to do goes well beyond just the stakeholders in the planning area, right? And, and it's, in some respects, it's like a citywide plan because um, all of Denver is going to want to um, have a voice and be involved in the planning process. We also want to move quickly. Um, there's a lot coming on downtown, a lot that is going to be shorter term and isn't attached to this plan to really focus on um, how do we make sure we're giving downtown the attention that it needs. Um, but nonetheless, there's also things coming out of this plan that we want to get to implementation quickly and not be bogged down in a three-year planning process. So th this is just a sample of all the things we're thinking about in terms of like, uh, it probably doesn't need to be full-on planning for the entire central area planning that you see on the map. Um, we want to leverage, Golden Triangle has a relatively recent plan. Auraria is doing their own master plan right now and we can leverage that. Um, how we might piece that all together into one central area plan is could still happen, but the focus of the planning we really think is more just on the core of downtown. And so that's why we're talking about it more as the downtown area plan instead of the central area plan, um, at least right now. Um, all of this is still TPD, like we'll be working a lot in early 2024 to uh, define the scope and partner with the council offices that are most impacted in particular. Um, the downtown Denver partnership, you know, just a lot of a lot of key people um, helping us figure this out. But the that was a really long answer. The short answer to your question is like it is more a downtown plan focused on the core. Thank you. That was very helpful. I had another question, and I'll I have a few, but I'll let others go. One of the things that was addressed quicker was the use of on-call consultants. Yeah. And CPD, as far as I know, doesn't have on-call consultants, dude. No, you want to? <laughs> yes. Uh, so we actually, as part of the Burning Yard project, uh, did an on-call RFQ that's still in the contracting uh, process. So that was our sort of first experience with on-call, and then 
uh, we are uh, about ready to produce a new RFQ for the NPI on call. So a new um, on call contract that we'll be setting up uh, for the NPI plans moving forward. And it'll be specifically for NPI, not other things that might come. I don't know, like small area plans. That sort of yeah, thing. I think it's it's written flexibly enough that if we need to use it for other things, like an unanticipated small area plan, we could potentially tap into it. But the intent is for it to be focused on uh, NPI plans moving forward. And will that on call? Will that happen before the next batch of NPIs, or is that for the future phase? It is uh, intended to be for this upcoming round of plans. Okay, thanks. Mary is next, and Bosha. Um, Thanks so much again, Scott. Um, I just had a, a question and a thought. I was a little bit, uh, I, I love that we're creating a home for sort of the other topic areas that don't fit into the, the MPI topics. And I, the fact that it's sort of a tiered approach of like, if it goes to another department, that makes sense to me. I'm a little bit worried about the engagement report just being like, yeah, we'll put that over, you know? And so I'm just wondering if uh, there was any discussion about referring that person to their city council member or one of the at-large council members so that it's like, yes. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. That, okay. that will also be a part of it. And okay. that's, that's sort of standard practice today cool. anyway, of, especially if it's something that we can't address and should is a shorter term problem. It's always, you know what, have you talked to your council member? They're, they're probably the best starting point for that. Okay. Yes, that'll be important. Excellent. And then um, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about, um, you talked about the current plan being those adopted after Blueprint. I'm not sure if you were in the room yet when we were having the conversation about how old is too old, yeah. um, but does that affect sort of, are, are we pulling up our 1972 planning documents? Uh, so the change we're proposing here is just for the purposes of determining which areas need a plan. Mm -hmm. So we won't be um, taking older plans out of consideration at this point uh, for like your use and evaluating consistent with the, with the plan uh, for rezoning. Um, but uh, as part of the NPI planning process, as we do these plans and as we do them faster and get the entire city covered, each NPI plan will replace the old plans in the neighborhood. So uh, yeah, we're not, uh, replacing the 80s and 90s plans that are still on the books uh, to date now. But once we do the NPI plans for those areas, then they will be replaced. Okay. And then um, the last one I'll ask for this round is um, I really appreciate having the defined topic areas uh, according to what's in comp plan and in blueprint. But I know more and more concern is coming up around energy capacity and I'm just curious if there have been conversations as part of MPI, how the city could play a bigger role in planning for that so that we're not left with some really ambiguous decisions or decisions that externalize the infrastructure needed to neighborhoods that don't have as much political power. Yeah, uh, good question. I know uh, the Office of Climate Action, Sustainability and Resiliency is leading a study on that, on uh, increasing electrification and making sure we have the infrastructure we need for that. Um, and we have CPD staff that is uh, uh, coordinating on that with them and they're working with Excel on that. Um, so yeah, I, we'll see what the outcome of that is and uh, hopefully they will provide us guidance on is there appropriate 
uh, guidance that they want out of NPI plans on, on those things. Uh, and that's uh, obviously a, a citywide, a regionwide yeah. issue. So to what extent is it appropriately addressed in area plans? Uh, take guidance from uh, the experts on that, if it's appropriate, we'll address it. Great, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> so thank you so much for the presentation and um, thank you for all the work that has been done, been done. I mean, in the past years, I remember we were having a lot of conversations about engagement and equity. And I think we have made a tremendous progress in understanding um, how to go about community outreach and be more intentional and more equitable. So um, I thank you for that work. Um, I've been bringing up my next question uh, frequently lately. So I'm gonna shift to implementation. I think that's something that maybe we need to focus on now. I think there's equity component in that implementation, right? Because if we set expectations for the public outreach and say, we're gonna have sidewalks and affordable housing, but then it doesn't come to fruition, uh, that creates frustration and mistrust and, and um, just really, if we don't implement our plans, they're, they're no good. So um, a lot of thoughts about, sorry, there's something floating in front of my face. <laughs> a lot of thoughts about um, infrastructure implementation. And I, um, you know, I've had some conversations about, with some city planning. And uh, when we talk about like DOTI budget, I think their annual budget is like 170 million right now. And for them to actually, like meet the goals and catch up with our infrastructure needs by 2050, they need like four times that much, like $630,000,000 annual budget. So there's a clear disconnect. And with that, we have these issues that, you know, we try to bring in affordable housing to under uh, invested neighborhood. And we run into all these infrastructure issues where Dowdy say, well, we don't have resources to build a sidewalk or stormwater or um, electrification, Excel, Excel doesn't have capacity. So I think we need to find <clears throat> ways to reconcile the need and expectations. And, you know, you're talking about having appendix that kind of outlines priority projects. Um, I would love to see it if you can share it. I don't know if you have one today, but like if, if they do exist, I would love to see them. And I would like to know how we prioritize and how we allocate responsibilities to where you know the infrastructure improvements doesn't fall don't fall on affordable housing development and also the neighborhood uh, and the neighbors kind of have clear understanding of what's coming when um, and and why and how it's works who's doing that yeah um, so some of those issues are sort of bigger than uh, neighborhood planning um, in terms of the Implementation appendix, we don't have an example yet. We're figuring out what exactly that'll look like. It'll be something new for these plans going forward. Uh, the, the type of implementation appendix we want um, to do. Um, but yeah, that's the intent of that is to provide more of that detail of um, who's responsible, what is the priority, what are the, the interim steps. You know, this needs to happen first before this can happen and, and uh, make sure we're thinking through um, those requirements and the process for achieving them so that it's not just, here's a whole list of stuff we'd like to accomplish and, and hand it off to Dottie or whoever that they need to then figure it out and then we can 
And if, if I just may, I know that you don't adopt the appendix as a part of a plan because you want to allow for flexibility, which I understand, but with that flexibility comes lack of accountability. So like, how do we keep ourselves accountable on the implementation if we allow this flexibility? Um, so I think that's just, I, I just, I don't expect the answer. I just kind of want to raise the issue. So we, we um, keep working on it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. And we, we will still have uh, some high level prioritization in the adopted plan. We want, do want to record, you know, this is what the community thinks is most important to accomplish. Uh, so that'll still be, there will still be an implementation section in the plans that'll, that'll identify those high level priorities. And then the appendix uh, will provide that additional level of detail. And then, as you said, that flexibility so that as we learn more and get into those studies and figure out how these things happen, we're, we're not um, constrained by what's in the plan, we have that flexibility to, to actually move things forward. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks, you asked, and then Rachel. Thanks. Um, yeah, first of all, I just want to echo, echo the thanks for all the work that's gone into this. I mean, it, it really, um, it is so clear that you guys have engaged and taken to heart the conversations that we've had, and really appreciate that. Um, on the appendix, because it's not adopted, then that is something that staff is able to, to adjust. And I, I guess I want to I want to kind of be on the other side. Accountability is important, but that flexibility I think is really critical. And and I really appreciate that that is ending up in somewhere that can change. Um, planning has to be flexible to be effective, I think. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the things that we've talked about a lot with this is, you know, we, we create these plans that are so detailed and so mapped out that if a circumstance changes, our heads just kind of explode because there's no other alternative. So I, I appreciate the flexibility. <clears throat> it occurs to me as you talk about the sunsetting plans at least in consideration for this, it makes me contemplate whether there is some language to be had as you move into the blueprint update about how we sunset plans and about how we consider plans that might be obsolete. Because it's obviously a huge problem for this body as we consider rezonings. But also from a planning standpoint, it creates this sort of artificial thing that's out there that may, I mean, in some cases, these date to the 1980s. And they're pretty much completely irrelevant at this stage, a lot of them. Yet they still sit there. And so maybe considering how we address that within Blueprint and creating a mechanism for that to happen could be, could be really useful and solve the issue that we're having as a body, but also... Um, make official what you guys have just sort of decided in considering NPR, NPI areas, because there's a reason you're doing that. I mean, you're acknowledging on, an impl on implementing this planning process that those plans don't really have much relevance anymore. Uh, and so maybe we need to find a way to really bring that into the plan so that we can, into Blueprint, so that we can get some of those out of the system. Um, and the, lastly, I just, 
you know, I noted the the downtown and uh, plan and this focusing on the core, which I'm very supportive of for a lot of reasons. Uh, the only thing you said that really concerns me is is that we're not going to be done with this until the beginning of 2026. And I really worry that given what we're talking about in terms of the need and the importance of downtown to the city as a whole, it feels to me like that time frame is, um, I, I think that time frame is problematic. And I, I recognize the desire to do all of this great stuff around it, but uh, I'm not sure that our city has the time for that right now, sadly. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Thanks. Um, my first question was just curious more on, on how you guys, if you could just talk a little bit more on how you select which neighborhoods come next. And obviously, you know, my guess is in 20, you know, January, 2020, you probably didn't have downtown on the list for next neighborhoods to evaluate, um, potentially. So just talk to me about how both like long-term vision and, changing conditions impact how, who comes next in the pipeline? Yeah. So it's generally based on those indicators of planning needs. So there are basically seven layers of data that we look at. It's the three blueprint equity measures. Um, we set sort of a threshold if they're uh, scoring below a certain level on those equity measures that um, they get one point, basically. Uh, there are three measures of uh, sort of the amount of change that they're seeing. Um, it's uh, looking at building permits, looking at um, capital improvements, and looking at uh, sort of property value ratios. And then the seventh layer is whether they have an adopted plan. Uh, and so then we just sort of stack those on top of each other. Uh, and the areas with the most points, um, the way it's mapped, they uh, it's a a color scale from sort of green to red. So the yellows, oranges, and reds are the ones for the highest planning need. Uh, and we sort of look at the areas and look at the areas that have the most orange and red in them. And those are the areas with the, the greatest planning need. So that's where we've been trying to direct our planning efforts. Uh, but we do recognize that um, there may be other extenuating circumstances that can influence that. So for example, uh, in phase one, when we did East Central and East, uh, East didn't score as high. It probably would not have been in the first round of plans, except we had uh, received a, a federal grant for planning along the whole length of East Colfax. So we were going to be doing planning in the East area, at least along Colfax. So it made sense to do both of those plans together to, to take advantage of that. And so that's acknowledged in the, the strategic plan of, of there are potentially other considerations that need to come into determining uh, which areas go next. Uh, and so, yeah, to your point, um, looking at this in January 2020, uh, the central area then in phase three. Um, but as Sarah explained, there's uh, extenuating circumstances that have obviously come up in, in the uh, last few years that we recognize we do need uh, additional visioning and thinking about uh, the core of downtown, especially, and, and how to address the, the issues that have come up. And so, that's why downtown got elevated. Um, on a, a follow up to that, but to echo Fred, I, you know, if there, to the extent that there's, you know, um, both in terms of the need 
to have uh, thoughtful planning for our downtown and also just from a, a market, the window of opportunity to do some really amazing things, I think closes at a certain point. Um, so to the extent we can um, hyper-focus those efforts and uh, jam-pack that in, I would support that as well. Um, my last little follow-up to the, the selection, is there any thought, you know, in looking at those seven <laughs> things, and this was my instinct, and then I, I feel even more so with your answer, is that it seems to me for, you know, things like building permits, some of the things that you named, that if we look at those and then those criteria trigger an 18 month process, like it may be not too late, but um, we're already we're already late. And so I, I think about, and this is selfishly, but I think it's a good example. Um, in the Cole and Clayton neighborhoods, we don't have plans and we have lots of undeveloped land, lots of the last like vestiges of affordable single family homes in the city um, within the next five years, 10 years, there will be massive amounts of change. And by the time those criteria are triggered, um, the opportunity for really comprehensive, thoughtful planning may be over. Um, and so just, I, I um, obviously you have to use some sort of criteria, but it seems to me that some of those criteria signal like, hmm, maybe this was a great candidate for a plan three years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair point, uh, especially on the building permit measure. I think the other two are a little more forward-looking and looking at those property value ratios that tends to be a leading indicator of, of future building permits. And then uh, areas where we're going to be investing, we know we're going to be investing money, so it's ahead of that investment. Um, but yeah, that then also uh, leads to those opportunities to take other things into consideration. So, um, you know, we know uh, Coca-Cola is pursuing moving out towards the airport, and so their site in coal is likely to redevelop, and so that's something we can take into consideration in determining uh, whether that's an appropriate plenary for phase four, uh, even though it doesn't show up in those metrics necessarily. Right. I just think about, like, looking at, you know, Burnham Yards is a great example of something that will be massively catalytic change for a part of the city, and I think between um, what's already happened in sort of 38th and Blake area development then you add Denver Rock Trail, then you add Coca-Cola. And if that's, if you're only doing sort of LDR site specific, um, yeah, so. Well, and, and, and also the city's investment in 39th Avenue Greenway. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it may be worth considering in my mind, it may be worth asking whether there is something that runs alongside NPI that can be deployed more aggressively, more um, more quickly, where we've where we've got some guardrails in place. Yeah. Because yeah. I think Rachel's right. If we, if we're going to wait for phase even phase four, I think it's going to be too late. Coca Cola is going to have been sold. That that's going to have been done before that plan ever gets off the ground, and we'll be standing there kind of saying, "Gosh, it would have been nice to have had a plan." So I just wonder where these, I, I just wonder if there is perhaps a tool that is different from NPI that we ought to be considering um, that can be deployed. Right. More that's not 300 pages, but it's maybe 20 pages. Yeah. We've, 
these are uh, concerns that have been raised by Councilman Watson. We've been having ongoing conversations uh, with them about that. Uh, and thinking about things that maybe his office can lead uh, in the interim to start answering some of these questions to get some of that interim guidance. Um, and then also, you know, a site like the code modeling facility, if whenever that comes in, that could be large enough to trigger through our LVR process the need for a plan, right? So um, like what happened when uh, Pepsi moved out to the IA, we didn't have appropriate plan guidance there. So they had to pay a fee and we did a small area plan amendment. Uh, it could be something similar if a developer comes into the Coke site don't have good plan guidance because there's not a cool neighborhood plan. Uh, we could potentially, and we don't have an MPI plan in place yet, um, we could potentially make them go through a small area planning process that would be larger than just the LVR process, uh, look more holistically at, at that site. So, uh, absolutely, we're, you're not the first to raise these concerns. We've gone talked to Councilman Watson about how to address those and, and how to provide some help in the, in the meantime. And then last, I just, I just want to give a huge kudos. I think back even less than 10 years ago and um, the amount of improvement and how the intentionality by the team is really, really amazing. And um, I think you see the fruits of it all over the city. So thank you to all the, the hard work, particularly during COVID, which was not easy. Other uh, comments, questions, I had just a couple. Um, just, you touched on at the end, um, they, they, there's an existing MPI strategic plan. And are you planning to replace that or just update it with kind of what you presented? It will be a new strategic plan. It will uh, include a lot of the information from the old one uh, with the new information. Uh, we're taking out a lot of the sort of specific data about the plan areas. The, the second half of that strategic plan is all sort of existing conditions data on the plan areas that we want to take out because it's uh, almost eight years old now. Um, the old one goes away. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll have a new strategic plan that replaces the existing strategic plan, but it'll cover the same topics except for that stuff that includes some new information coming out of this okay. evaluation. And then do you update the neighborhood planning need map as part of that too? Because it has... Yeah, I mean, kind of what we were just talking about, yeah. you know, it has a handful of pages on what are the criteria, then a map on, you know, highest right. that would get updated. Uh, so actually, I think we're going to take that out of the strategic plan because, again, it, it almost immediately gets out of date. Um, uh -huh. And since we'll be doing uh, this evaluation every 18 months to identify the next plan areas instead of having a static map in strategic plan, we'll just update it uh, when it comes time to identify the fits for plan areas. Okay. Um, and this is, I don't know who this is a question, maybe you, Andrew, maybe, uh, but do, who approves the MPI strategic plan? Does, or, or we're done. It's, it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not adopted. Yeah, I didn't think it was an adoptive one. Just, just curious kind of how it gets finalized. All right. Um, oh, and then uh, on the slide on height maps, um, one, thank you. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, in that light, it seemed like you didn't call out that you would be doing like a, a base map or a EHA map. Is that correct? Except for maybe in those kind of focused areas where you're recommending more or? Yeah, so we'll we'll figure out what makes sense the best way to convey the information when we get to that. It could depend on the scale of those maps and, and um, what other information we'll include on them. 
Uh, we've certainly heard your concerns about having two maps, and, and we understand that. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's a uh, question we're sort of kicking down the road to when we get to the point where we're creating those maps. What what makes sense uh, to convey uh, the appropriate information to the community so that it's clear and not misleading? Um, so, yeah, we've heard your concerns, and we're taking it into consideration. I can't promise you one way or the other. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'll just keep making the comment. Yep. No. Um, no. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Mary. Um, just a few things, and they may already exist and may have not been in there just because it was high level. Um, but for the implementation appendix, will that include a budget and or a cost estimate for implementation items? Uh, potentially for some of the key priorities. Uh, that'll uh, most likely depend on budget we have, do we have budget and scope towards the end of the project to have one of our consultants put together an estimated budget for some of these projects. Uh, we would love to have that. I just can't promise that we'll be able to do it every time. Okay. And then um, you talked about involving people from other departments, which I think everyone agrees is a great idea. Have you started having those conversations? Do you have buy-in for that? <laughs> uh, no, not in detail yet. We, okay. We've had a conversation with you, we've had a conversation with council members, there's general support for it. Um, it. It's not just a matter of going to the departments of the state and say, give us somebody. We know it's going to take additional resources for them to be able to staff it the way we'd like. And so we wanted to get the support from the people who make the budget decisions first. Now we can start having conversations with the other departments and say, going forward, looking towards phase four already. What will it take to have somebody on your staff that a part of their job description is working on NPI? So we're not just borrowing a little bit of their time uh, as we go through this. Um, so we will yeah. start having those conversations soon. Let us know if you need advocacy on that front. And then just the last uh, question, and you may have mentioned this. I think I was writing the question while you were talking about it. Um, for the, engage, uh, the equity subcommittee of the advisory committee, um, is is there a line item in the budget to offer people stipends for participation? Yes. Okay, thank you. All right, any other questions, discussion points? Yeah, agreed. Thank you, thank you for all the hard work. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Okay, moving on to our next agenda item on adaptive reduce programs. We have Jennifer Ramsey here presenting. And thank you um, to both of both you and Scott in advance for providing kind of memos and overviews. I know it's something we've been requesting on the items. <laughs> I could share this. It would just be all over the place. I left it in the bag too long, and now it's all crumbly. It's a it's a really. <laughs> that was replacing our snack basket. <laughs> Hello, my name is Jennifer Ramsey. Thanks for having me today. Uh, my official title is Adaptive Reuse Senior Development Project Administrator, but basically my job is to connect the dots between what applicants need as far as adaptive reuse, what the city needs as far as actual permitting, and um, what we can do to make adaptive reuse easier in the city and more successful in Denver. So the definition of adaptive reuse that the program uses is that is it is the modification 
of an existing building for a new use or purpose. And there are several goals associated with this particular program. Number one being to preserve neighborhood identity, that is reinvigorating existing structures when it makes sense and keeping some of that local character when it's supported by the neighborhood or other city priorities. It also strengthens the local economy by preserving some, some of those small business areas, that finer grain development that new construction doesn't necessarily provide and increases housing options, both the opportunity for missing middle and affordable housing, theoretically, these projects can could be delivered faster or more cost-effectively, but it also can provide a more interesting or unique housing experience compared to new development that may be more uh, mass-produced box-like construction. Also, an important component of this is that it helps us meet our climate change um, fight, I guess, uh, in, in the way that it's reducing the demand for new materials, investment in energy and inter infrastructure that has already been spent. And, and hopefully uh, with that, preserving the neighborhood and, and increasing the efficiency of the area. So right now the program's really focused on two pilot areas. Number one being East Colfax, which is currently limited to three pilot projects. There are slots within that. The limitation of the, of the program's really uh, guided by a negotiated MOU between different agencies. And I'll get into why that's important in a minute. In a minute. This particular East Colfax program is focused on converging, convert, sorry, conversion of existing to a new use or purpose. So generally not limiting what the use conversions are. It targets small business, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute as well. So the upper downtown or CBD portion of the pilot program is open to five projects, two um, slots which are taken, and we just received an application for the third, so there could be two to three remaining spots. And this one is targeted to office to multi-use residential conversion coming out of some of the COVID-19 um, after effects as far as underutilized office and potential uh, changes to the neighborhood. So within East Colfax, the intent here is to leverage the BRT and other planning investments, East areas, East Central Air neighborhood plans, the changing economy there that we anticipate and strong community interest to give us the opportunity to preserve those smaller spaces, enhance neighborhood character, or keep some of the existing neighborhood character as new development moves in, and to support smaller inexperienced developed teams going through what may be their first construction project. Adaptive reuse, as you know, can be more complex um, and technical than regular new construction. So this, I think, is uh, a sorely needed item here. As you know, the recommendation for the entire program and my particular role came out of both East and East Central area plans, as well as the adaptive reuse strategy paper. So with that in mind, uh, the adaptive reuse program user's handbook was published publicly recently as well. That kind of outlines from a very granular sense for someone that, again, may not be uh, used to either development or even development in Denver in, gen in, Denver in general. Um, so those key pieces led to the current program. This one does target that small or inexperienced team or ownership group. Um, we just launched the, the pilot application for that in late October. I have uh, reached out to, you know, council members were in the East Colfax area um, that, that basically touch where this program would, would occur. 
have received some interest in that. And I just got my um, second call from a potential applicant yesterday. So hopefully we're going to increase that engagement, get people understanding where this uh, could lead to or how we can help. Uh, we recently, actually Monday, we had a nine news interview on this program, as well as uh, a forthcoming front page, basically, you know, the folks that are living over there um, interview as well. So I think that this program, the interest in this will build as people become more aware. For Upper Downtown, uh, this is a very different market, obviously, from this, you know, smaller, inexperienced or local business to very sophisticated ownership groups, uh, project teams, et cetera. So here, this really stemmed from high office vacancy rates coming out of COVID. And actually we started to see some of that vacancy increasing as, as early as 2015. So this was slowly coming anyway. COVID just accelerated that change. We also have the changing economy, changing tenants, different tenants are starting to locate or leave upper downtown for different areas so that, that changing mix is influencing this as well, as well as the opportunity to provide additional housing with this potentially. So the entire intent here is slightly different, although aligned. We're trying to capitalize on existing assets. That's really all of uh, you know, the upper downtown area. We have great transit. We have fantastic arts and sports and the convention center. So all of those things really contribute to the potential of this area and neighborhood. With that, we're intending to balance office, residential, and retail uses. Right now, it's primarily office to a great extent, as you know. And so trying to get that 24-hour um, mixed-use feel, transitioning from a central business district to a central neighborhood district. The intent there, as we look to you know, this particular pilot program being targeting office to residential, to increase that residential occupancy downtown, <clears throat> which might attract better retail, maybe more interesting or uh, attractive retail for folks outside of downtown, <clears throat> attracting them and uh, regional, uh, other regional interest paired with investments in placemaking and other amenities that help transition the neighborhood will lead to a cycle of improvement for the entire area. So the program, the overall program itself um, was begun officially in 2022 and 2023. The refinements of the, of the program and the framework was completed by my predecessor. I joined about seven months ago to uh, start really pushing the implement, implementation and evaluation phase of this. My background is in architecture and interior design, so a little bit more um, project focused than the planning predecessor before me. So I was able to open both pilot program applications. We published the website. We had a lot of uh, publicity about the downtown conversion analysis that we commissioned from Gensler. And so trying to understand and make those uh, relationships with the downtown development community, the overall Denver development community, and now trying to expand that to the, the folks that both live and are interested in development on East Colfax as it changes as well. So next steps for the program are to continue and recruiting and completing some of the pilot programs so that we can learn and understand what some of the regulatory, regulatory procedural or financial areas are that are impacting adaptive use in Denver. Understand, are there solutions that we can implement during the pilot process or is this something that takes longer term effort regulatory changes, et cetera. And then also 
understand if it's successful in these two very different areas. Is it something that we would like to implement in the rest of the city? So speaking a little bit about the current incentives within the program, we do have a dedicated project coordinator, which is part of my job to actually take the projects through the permitting and review process. It does provide on-time reviews, so they have a more predictable schedule. Very important for small business or folks that aren't used to this at all. Um, you know, establishing those expectations as far as months and potentially years instead of weeks. And also, I'm able, because of my personal background, able to advocate a little more strongly and um, complete some of the multi-agency coordination at a more technical level to help these projects um, move forward. We are also exploring other potential incentives as things start to occur in patterns between the different uh, project types and, and user needs. And so obviously financial barriers is coming up a lot downtown because of the current uh, regulatory and uh, just economic environment financially, um, some of the construction costs, et cetera. So we're starting to track that, understand where they're coming from with the eventual understanding goal to share that information in a, in a way that enables action to support these projects in the future. So lastly, I'd like to, to um, recommend that you check out the new website at uh, denvergov.org backslash adaptive reuse. It does have links to download all of the, the studies and handbook, et cetera, that I mentioned, as well as you can see the digital application that defines the adaptive reuse pilot program areas, both in upper downtown and within the school facts. Questions. Awesome. Thank you. And I apologize to everybody. We're two hours in. I think we're near the end. So I was I was kind of plowing on, but if anybody needs to take a break or we want to take a five minute or keep going. Keep going. Plow on. Plow on. All right. <laughs> Good deal. Um, I've got Fred and then Goja and then Rachel and Heidi. Thanks. I appreciate all this and, and obviously I've been following this closely as somebody who is deeply involved in adaptive reuse. Um couple of quickies. One is I just always keep thinking about the sustainability stuff in CASER and where all of this is and would hope that we could fairly quickly put together and get broad acceptance of a different framework for how we view sustainability, um, recognizing the embodied carbon and also frankly just recognizing the challenges that we have in terms of electrification in, in adaptive reuse and you know great let's ask excel for new infrastructure and we can do this and in, in another 10 years we'll we'll do that adaptive reuse project um <clears throat> i want to highlight that and this is relates to the conversation we were just having about the downtown plan you're basically acting upon what I would expect to be a significant conversation that that downtown plan should be having. And this is a great example of the plan is going to follow the implementation at this stage, because I think one of the big subjects is the, is looking at central, the core downtown area as a complete neighborhood. That's obviously what's driving a huge portion of this, this project. And, well, you know, so we're going to get some projects well long before we've ever really engaged on the planning process, which I, I just think is unfortunate. And I think this this kind of highlights what we were talking about just before. 
Um, and it, I, I do think that the regulatory stuff is going to be huge. And I guess my, my question would be, do we have a commitment from the development services side and from building to really work on a different way of doing this, whether it's admin mods or whether it's going back to the old chapter, what was it called? Is anybody where we're essentially the hmm? existing building? Code. No, there was a <clears throat> the, the different the alternate process. Yeah, the yeah. alternate process that committee, used to exist, actually, yeah. where the committee would get together and basically just as opposed to doing, let's do an admin mod and let's do this and then we'll have more discussions. They would just get together and say, yeah, we're doing an old building that doesn't, is never gonna meet the current code and let's figure this out and let's just do it. And there was an alternative process that development services had bought into, but seems to have totally disappeared. So Libby, if I, if I remember everything that you said, so to address uh, energy and CASR and Excel and all of that, that is already repeated and huge issue that's coming up for these projects. I think that um, the, the baseline understanding and desire to have these every, every existing building and new building meet certain criteria is great. I think the practicality of that and the fact that if it requires complete reskin of the building or um, reuse of most of the lower floor, the first floor, um, to support increased transformers and additional you know, mechanical area, I think we need to reconsider whether or not that's the best outcome for the city, even though this one particular project may or may not exactly meet those criteria are there other benefits that would supersede that or collectively or a greater whole? So we have reached out to CASR at Green Building, Building in general, et cetera, to start those conversations um, to make success right now, but hopefully improving on that in the future. Okay, I mean, you know, because the energy modeling stuff gets pretty expensive, pretty yeah. challenging. Um, and it, who knows? And particularly with there. the East Colfax <laughs> stuff that you're talking about, where you're talking about small businesses, less experienced folks, I mean, the example I always give is my house that was a 1,253 sheet permit set because of the energy modeling that was required. And, and that came after the reviewer said, well, why don't you just do exterior insulation and, and put siding on the building on a historic brick building? That was, that was the city's default yeah, answer. So, so um, <laughs> I agree. It's, it's ongoing. Yeah. We're starting to highlight that. Likewise, with some of the, you know, the repeating building comments that are coming up, obviously stairs are always an issue. Um, separation, you're not going to change that um, necessarily cost feasibly. At that point, you start to look at other options like demo, which isn't an outcome the city wants. So what obviously right now we have the fairly lengthy um, admin mod process. And so at least right now we're documenting and understanding that it's not working. So consideration of that can be, uh, I, I'm not sure, but um, there may or may not be interest in holding a standing committee similar to the lot. I think it went away because it was underutilized and very cost, you know, resource intensive, but there might be a new way to look at that now with different technology or just different scheduling in general. But yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. What was the third? Um, uh, that was the third was around that. The, the middle yeah. one was about how this project is kind of running ahead of the plan that sure. probably gives it a reason for being. I think it's ahead, but I also think it's very important that and that it informs the plan because it's actually the one mechanism right now we have for market feedback. We know that the office market is adjusting 
obviously the financial markets adjusting and no one really knows where it's going. The discussions we've been having for adaptories earlier this year are different several months later, which is pretty unheard of in, in construction development. So I think that it is running ahead, but I think it's valuable that it is. And eventually we're gonna run together. Hopefully before the beginning yeah. of 2026. I can say that um, there's a lot of overlap obviously between planning services, Sarah, um, is, is very much involved in helping, this is, sorry, resetting, uh, helping with the adaptive re strategy direction and very much in keeping with um, and collaborating on how this can interface and help some of those other goals. Thanks. Do you mind if I just add something about the area? Yeah. Just because it's, since it's come up twice now, I just thought I would directly address your points about, um, you know, hear you and agree on a lot of the, like, if only in an ideal world, we could sequence things right exactly how we want. And so I think um, there's a lot a lot that the city's thinking about and it's certainly a priority for the mayor, right? To think about what do we do about downtown now? Like meaning like things that you don't have to wait for a plan for. Uh, and that's really important. And adaptive reuse is one of them, right? Like we don't wanna wait on some of those things um, because we all know, even though I just told you we want to do a plan quickly and not spend three years in a planning process, like plans take time and then the plan's done and then you still have to implement, like you haven't actually meaningfully changed rules or regulations or spent money on a project or something, right? So we're trying to do a both and, agree with you, like it's not the most perfect sequence you'd want in the world, but we're working together really closely. Like we actually just had a meeting earlier today where we were talking about like, um, although a lot of studies been done on adaptive reuse downtown, and we've identified potential sites and understanding where we might need financial incentives, all that kind of stuff. Like, what can we still, based on that, then how can it inform the plan and what can we get out of the planning process to, to build upon it? And that could apply for five other topics or even more, right? Where it's like, there might be some things already coming because we don't want to wait, but it doesn't mean we won't keep talking and trying to figure out how to have the plan leverage those things. Okay, no, that's fair enough. I mean, and, and some of this, comes from these conversations that we have about, well, we could do this rezoning once the plan's done. So, you know, recognize that there's some history with some of that and, and the hope that we, as we move into this, this kind of era where we're particularly for downtown where it's so critical that we can maybe say, yeah, some of the ways we've been doing things maybe shouldn't apply right now. And maybe we just need to kind of find some new paths to help yeah. us get there. Yeah. So That's thank right. you. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I forgot my order of people. Um, thank you, Scotia, then Rachel, then me. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for your presentation and your work, and thank you for sitting for our entire meeting and <laughs> waiting till the very last. Uh, it's reconnaissance. I just need to know how I can get on my side. <laughs> I also really appreciate the background that you bring to the project. And uh, my question, first question is, I, I really appreciate the approach of pilot projects and identifying pinch points, but like we know what the problems are. Uh, I well, mean, I, we do and we don't. I think there, we're learning new things on the different scale of projects and particular projects. Like for instance, historic projects or landmark area projects have very different needs sometimes than typical adaptive reuse, but the two, Pilot, pilot projects within the pilot program now. Um, they're actually having slightly different issues. So I think it's it's not universal, but for me, it's giving me ammunition to be able to go to building or whomever else and be at Dottie and like 
these are things that are maybe slightly different, but the end result is we need to change this or allow flexibility in X, Y, Z. So I don't want to predetermine what those outcomes are, but um, there is overlap. Yeah, I think what maybe what I'm trying to suggest that there's existing data or even city records probably of past projects and people who do this work. Like I, as an architect, I've worked in Denver for 20 years. I now do large projects. What I hear from clients who look at this adaptive reuse large buildings is that the projects don't pencil out unless the building is free because the building is more of a liability than assets. The amount of renovation and investment that you need to put in the building be better off to just have a, a site without a building on it. So like that's actual data that I hear repeatedly from clients who bring the projects uh, in front of us. But in the past, I've done for 15 years, I was a small business owner working for small business owners. So like I did these mom and pop dollar scoop yeah. um, renovations or hair salon, especially 2009-10 during the recession, a lot of people lost their jobs and that was really their way for survival. So they would uh, borrow money from friends and neighbors and try to open their own business. And um, they would come to us and we would say, well, it's a change of use. Guess what? You need accessible bathroom and you need um, you know, perking uh, in front of the business. And, you know, as soon as you hear those words, change of use and being built to a current code, I mean, those are the scariest words because the budget goes through the roof. And again, it's an uneducated client and they're resourced. And um, I, I kind of, I think what I am hoping to get is your process and thinking about reconciling these, like, um, the perfect getting in a way of good. And then also um, <clears throat> questions about equity and accessibility. Yes, we want our buildings to, accessible, to be accessible, but also this building has been there since 1965 and it has never been accessible. There's been prior businesses there. They're similar enough. Um, somebody wants to come in and just open, I don't know, a daycare or hair salon or some kind of small neighborhoods serving business. Like, how do we, how do you go about reconciling these priorities and those needs? I think, I mean, for me personally, ideally, there start to be proportionality discussions in all of requirements within the city. So, um, yes, we want we want the highest energy standards for new construction, of course, because it's easier to achieve that. But for a small mom and pop, if it's going to eliminate the feasibility of that particular building existing at all because no one's going to lease it was too expensive to do anything with it and it gets demoed and replaced by Walgreens is that the best outcome so that proportionality I think is is a bigger equity component than necessarily you know trying to prioritize different areas or different folks I think that priority um, sorry that that proportionality will actually solve that if we're able to integrate it but you know then it becomes a little bit to Fred's earlier point, there's flexibility there, but there's also risk. So it depends on how much the city wants to um, support certain things at risk of other things. So I'm just trying to envision yeah. what the outcome could be. Um, possible modifications to the building code that's maybe like a scoring system that kind of balances those different priorities and asks for a minimum score to qualify for a permit. Mm -hmm. I think Dallas, um, someone does that. I think Dallas, or sorry, Texas may do that. Um, 
I haven't uh, touched base with them specifically on that, but they do. One thing that's interesting there is that you're able to get all of the um, various agencies together in a room to decide through a page flip of maybe a couple of days, what next steps are, do some red lines, and then they get the permit. So it's like that level of process, negotiated process, people in the room that doesn't necessarily require like a full formal submission of equipment. That might be something that's um, faster and more flexible for you know a smaller client. But. Yeah, we used to do walk-in permitting, walk-in kind, of <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. I, I encourage you to reconsider. Things, you know, it's also, not I mean, for smaller permits, also not to burden the staff um, yeah. and streamline the process. Um, in some simple process, simple yeah. window replacement, just walk in and get a permit. Yeah, right. Thank you. TBD, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. If you know, please let me know. <laughs> I can come up to hear more. Or automatic permits subject to inspection. Um, my question, so a lot of this is thinking like long-term adaptive reuse, right? So uh, taking a office 1600 Glenarm, right? Long-term adaptive reuse. When I think about all of the things that are coming up here and I think about where the city, you know, the city on... Um, the micro communities, that was a very like, we are going to create this thing that bypasses the code and then event and we're going to see how it works. And eventually we're going to bring it into the code. When I think about, you know, 2000 bed field hospital that was stood up in the convention center, that was, we are going to get around code requirements um, because there's an immediate need. Uh, you know, we're going to shut down these streets. We're not going to do a four-year planning process. We're going to shut them down because there's an immediate need. Um, and now for a lot of those, then eventually you learn what works, what doesn't, and you're able to put it into the code. Um, I wonder if you, my question is, are you thinking at all along those lines, like rather than the like, okay, 10 years from now, this will be adaptively permanently reused and saying like, what could we carve out from the code today when we know there's this massive need from a people downtown, um, people who need housing. Like, is there a temporary adaptive reuse that bypasses the code, um, you know, with certain life safety elements incorporated in um, that then allows you to sort of learn in real time? Like, oh, these things we thought we needed, we actually do not need. Um, and you know, is there any, I guess that's the question, is there any short-term adaptive reuse similar to how we've done in other, um, other instances of carving out just an entirely new idea? Interesting idea. I don't know um, if that's been done at the scale, obviously, of the towers. I think that would be really interesting for East Colfax to see if those smaller building types of things, because they've you know, some of those projects have existed for hundreds of years. There's really not that much um, that they might need to actually come into a different use. And if there's a temporary way, temporary permit or emergency situation because of BRT, et cetera, that could be interesting. Um, I would, I wonder about, again, applicability to the towers because um, the life safety things I think are serious and real and need to be addressed. And if you're already going in to do that, Sometimes it makes sense to kind of do the other upgrades as well, but yeah, interesting to explain. Yeah, I guess I just, you know, when you talk about proportionality and like yeah. the life safety of sleeping in two degree weather on the sidewalk versus having to exit through, a, you know, I don't know. 
Um, I think those were similar questions on building some of the um, micro communities, right? Was like questions around life safety and and some turned out to be very real and were adapted over time. Okay. I think I'll actually, that's, I'll, I'll touch base with those folks and see if there's anything we can learn from. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey. Jennifer, <clears throat> thank you for your great work on this. It's obviously a huge need that our city has. Um, so I appreciate everything that you're doing. Um, and just to re-echo what others have already said, to highly encourage the planning department to find ways and vehicles that are fast and efficient to bypass code when it doesn't make sense for these buildings. Um, and then, and these are all just comments, I don't have any questions for you, Jennifer. Um, and then next, you know, this is obviously a tool that we need um, for the office conversion, right? All of the empty office space we have, and there's a lot of opportunity for office conversion to rental um, residential, but not so much for sale because of construction defects. And so um, we desperately need for sale housing in this city. Um, we desperately need that first rung on the ladder for housing for, um, you know, it's OE condominiums serve that. I also get really worried with what's occurring downtown with building more and more and more rental, but not building for sale. And what does that difference in the life stages of the occupancy and the transient neighbor, nature of, of rental due to our downtown schools, right? There, there is um, data around that. And so I think this is really imperative that we're creating this tool that we're working hard um, at the legislature to get construction defects reform in place. And so I'm going to ask staff that there's some energy around this board and the city council to be figuring out where our role is in that conversation in the state. And I know the city attorney was looking at that out of um, one of the comments that a city council member made and just encouraging staff to please pursue that quickly with getting that direction from, from, um, from the city attorney so we can understand where our role is and we can start to push on that so that this great tool can help lead to for sale housing in our city. Yeah. So again, just a comment, thanks for shaking your head in agreement, I appreciate it. Um, and then finally, just quickly, I would hope that for staff on time um, reviews of applications is something that we provide to all of our constituents and all of our applicants and isn't viewed as a, um, a what was the word? It's not viewed incentive. as uh, incentive. It's not reviewed as an incentive. That should be our standard operating procedure for all of our applicants and all of our constituents that we serve. Mm -hmm. So I might just ask that that language um, maybe not be included as an incentive. Okay. Um, really quickly, um, Adam Hernandez, I think, wanted to speak to your what you were just saying. So he's he's remote today. Oh. But... Hey, Adam. Hi, Adam Hernandez, Assistant City Attorney. I actually don't want to comment on, on the last comment you made, Heidi, oh, right. but did want to clarify <laughs> on, on two comments that I heard earlier about the city bypassing regulations and code requirements. The city can't do that uh, unless there's express authority in a code for something to be bypassed in a certain situation. The city does have to abide by its code requirements. So always a chance to change code, um, or look at things that that can be done through existing code, but the city just can't ignore its own code and, and go that route. So just wanted to clarify that. 
So I'll say thank you, Adam, and thank you for laying out the route by which to do so, which is to put it in code that there is flexibility for this program and that perhaps that's something that needs to be considered and run through planning board and city council to accomplish this very important objective for the city. So, uh, and I think that's the end of my comments. Thank you. So, I, you know, I want to follow up on something that, that Gosha said and maybe just outline it a little bit differently because it's a, a bit of my hobby horse and this, this idea of the proportionality. And, you know, when we talk about adaptive reuse, we are talking about everything from trying to convert a high-rise office into multifamily through to taking a standalone small building and, and, and converting that to almost just taking an existing space and changing the use. I mean, that really is in essence adaptive reuse. And, and the change of use stuff triggers not just always code requirements, but even where there are no code requirements, it triggers a different process because it triggers an intermediate commercial as opposed to a minor commercial. And, you know, one of the, we're doing a lot of work throughout CPD on process improvement and, and the goal, the stated goal is often that we reduce the number of reviews. And, and I, I would argue that to a certain extent, we also should be figuring out what we don't need to review. What can be done as a minor commercial with a walkthrough permit, as you know, walkthrough, which essentially is a, you know, an automated process now um, to free up our development services staff to focus on the harder questions. Because some of this adaptive reuse is going to be is going to require everybody to sit down and say, well, what kind of admin mod or alternative process can we go through to meet the requirements of code in a performance, if not prescriptive manner? But to do that, I think we've got to free up staff time and staff to do that. And, and so again, I would just push that we've got to start looking at what we don't need to review. Uh, what does not need a full review and get that out of the way. It's still permitted. It can still be inspected, but maybe it doesn't need a full review so that we can focus on that. And, and I think the same is true also, frankly, to talk about SDPs. What of these adaptive reuse projects really need an SDP and what can go straight to permit? because I think we, we often push the, the SDP process and the SDP process, I'm, I'm not quite sure, and I don't mean this facetiously, why we do SDPs anymore. And I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, I, I think sure. it's time for us to be asking, what is the point of the SDP? What, what are we hoping to get out of it? Because it has become, as, as a friend of mine pointed out, a former member of this board, described it, it's, it's become a Christmas tree on which we continue to hang endless ornaments. And, and so, you know, I, I think then if we can figure out that proportionality and where those are and do it as a priority and not study it for the next couple of years, it ought to be fairly easy for us to say, look, these very simple adaptive reuse that involve a change of use, but maybe don't involve you know, shifting occupancy classes to, uh, that are that much harder, we ought to be able to just walk that through and be done so that you and your colleagues in development services can then focus on the harder ones, if that makes sense. Okay. Thank you.
Um, I have a few comments and questions. Um, and I'll open it back up before in case there's any others. Um, just so you know, thank you for providing the website at the, or at the end. Like the whole way through, I was like, I want to read the handbook. And I was on the Denver Gov website searching in the search tab. And it does not take you to you <laughs> anywhere. And so as soon as you okay. gave me the website, I was like, great. So anyway, just to okay. make sure you kind of are connecting yeah. that so people can easily find you. Um, along with that, can you clarify where, like what department are you housed in and kind of what is your super? <laughs> yeah. your so um, I am housed under um, design services under the site neighborhood development site planning and neighborhood development team as a project coordinator okay. officially. Um, I'm sort of navigating, uh, yeah. So I'm navigating between departments as required. It's a little of a strange thing because yeah. the intent of the program is to make it more seamless. So um, hopefully I'm able to navigate those silos a little more readily than some of the other folks. And that's the kind of the MOUs that you touched on? That Yeah, the MOU is negotiated agreement between different agencies within the city, obviously Excel, different water, et cetera, are not privy to that. Um, but that allows at least the on-time review and the uh, allowance for increased collaboration and earlier collaboration and coordination between uh, project teams and myself. Um, and then to touch on something Goja shared, um, are you doing any interviews or kind of look backs at, at kind of case examples? Yeah. I mean, I know you have the pilots, but, you, but you're right. You need that ammunition of examples. And so there may be some that were completed that could still go back and say it was the SUDP that was a hang up or whatever. And so I'm just curious if you're doing any I, It's, it's on the list. Right I do now. have a list of um, projects that would qualify for that. I haven't uh -huh. been able to dig into it yet, though. But it is something I think would be really valuable. Understanding, of course, you know, regulations change and everything. But I think um, we may start to see that certain areas of SDP are actually the concern. Um, and, you know, from my perspective, the value of SDP is getting um, interagency coordination early and also allowing approval for things before you get so far down the line that you basically have to redesign. That's my impression of the intent having been <laughs> nice. Uh, I will, but having, you know, been a short time in this role, uh, there is value, at least in that process. What, what it's, if it's called SDP, when it happens, et cetera, what's all included to the Christmas tree comment. Um, I think that's valued and hopefully something that we can um, analyze and enact change for with the upcoming efforts. Um, thank you. And then I, I would just really echo Fred's comments on kind of the, the climate change. I mean, you have it in your first slide. Why is this important adaptive reuse? But CASER absolutely does not recognize it when you look at what yeah. their requirements are for existing buildings. And that will be a major hurdle. And if CASER cannot kind of figure out how to revise what it requires from existing buildings to acknowledge kind of the, the what if, right? The, the impact of demolishing a building and the environmental impact of building a new one, if that can't be accounted for, I think it's just, that, that will be just a barring item. Um, so, and, and then I guess I would just share, I mean, we're preaching to the choir a little bit <laughs> with you because this is I'm your program. I'm gonna take this recording and <laughs> release it in some way. Well, and that's sort of, I guess, the question is, is one of our roles is to help amplify what you're doing to make sure that, you know, when we're talking to CASA, sure. we're saying you should be doing this. And, and I, I guess 
you don't even have to answer it today, but I'm interested in your thoughts, but how can we support you to make sure that you are successful in those coordinations and, and to really, you know, take the recommendations and have the other agencies take them really seriously in more of an emergency type way um, because, you know, you're believing it and I think others do, but that, that'll be a big hurdle, yeah. frankly. I have to say, I mean, from my perspective, again, my perspective, not necessarily anyone else's, the beauty of planning board and other, you know, folks that are looking at this holistically is that you're able to have perspectives beyond the silo. Yes, there are amazing energy requirements that the city wants. There are amazing, you know, life safety, et cetera. But from, you know, a three, 350 foot view, what does that mean for the city as a whole? And then, of course, council can be helpful in that as well. Please use us. Um, other comments, questions, discussion items? Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. Thanks, all. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, then we just have kind of chair time. Um, so I don't, I don't have anything. Andrew, what do you have? Uh, no, uh, no major announcements this week. Um, We'll see you all uh, in the new year. I did want to let you know that the uh, meeting scheduled for January 3rd, Wednesday, January 3rd, uh, we'd had a, an info item uh, planned for that date uh, that has since been postponed. So we are expecting that meeting to be fairly short. Uh, so you should all uh, plan for uh, an exceedingly short uh, meeting that evening. We do our best to try to make sure we have uh, a lot of content on agendas, but this is one of those times where we, were, we ended up with just a a couple of, uh, of uh, resuming items, but they have been noticed and uh, need to have action. So we will have to still hold them. What was time. the informational item? Uh, it was going to be our typical uh, um, uh, CPD update, which we're going to move to February. Okay. All right. Uh, with that, we're adjourned. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you. you. Paper thin. Wrap it around the breadstick here. Don't be afraid of the carpaccio. Absolutely worth the trip here. Buried underneath all that arugula is a polenta cake. <laughs>